Hello, everybody, and welcome to 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back. I'm Connor Lestoka. With me is Mike Nelson, and this is the podcast book club where we talk about books we are probably going to hate. And boy, have we found a book that we probably and then did go on to hate. Lair of the White Worm <laughs> by Bram Stoker. Just in time for Halloween. We are wrapping it up. I uh, I actually went, I almost went around to feeling fondness for it again. I hated it so much that it almost circled back on itself. Wow. Like, like a worm and started eating its own tail. <laughs> uh, almost. An Ouroboros but, but, of ironic reading. Yeah, it's, uh, holy moly, is this a bad book. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the bones of it are there, like explaining it. Uh, to each other and explaining it like to to Lauren on the side is there there are there are funny things to explain about it but man the the impenetrable nature that it's written in is is unlike a, uh, most things that I've ever read you know getting to those funny things requires uh, a bit of effort and they're not as funny when you're reading them in real time it's like uh you know when you get a bad bag of pistachios and you really none of them are open enough yeah. to get your fingernails inside of them and you when you pry the sharp edge of the pistachio actually digs into your finger and cuts it and you're bleeding and you still don't have any pistachio to eat. Yes. That's what this book is. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> right. But we have slogged through it. We've slogged through uh uh, multiple staring contests. We've slogged through uh, all sorts of travel back and forth between the the three locations of indeterminate distance from each other, and we reached uh, a conclusion. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk you through uh, the the final five chapters, I think, of Lair of the White Worm today. I envy. I always I usually make fun of the people who who listen to these without reading, but I, I do I do I do envy them like for for stuff like this because we're gonna we're gonna describe to you things that are so beyond the realm of what you what you would expect as a normal book reading audience member. That I, I, I envy people getting to experience them for the first time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you you left out one of the other exciting elements of the book, mm -hmm. which is the multiple levels of following through indeterminate <laughs> levels of brush and trees oh. and cover and non-cover and uh, God, physical how space. Many times? Yeah, yes. is is very hard to to ascertain in this book. Whether it's uh, uh, a a path uh, between two mansions or whether it's the rooftop of a mansion, it is we do not get a sense of this at all. Not at all. Even when the well, I don't want to. Sure, I don't want to spoil exactly. it at the very end. The physical nature of the the conclusion is even sort of wait, what? Yes, the <laughs> the a conclusion that makes you know uh, Wiley Coyote uh, running a, a Rube Goldberg machine look like a a dignified, uh, simple uh, method of of resolving a book. Yes. <laughs> uh, before we duck out of this book, though, I'm going to surprise you with an, another thing. Here. <laughs> It was, yeah, I know. I hate to do it. Surprises. Let's let's go to bed instead. You know what? Let's not deal with it. This is too much to do sure. right off the bat. Uh, no, it's it was sort of a leftover Amazon review. That, as I said last time, there were it was an embarrassment of riches of these people who loved the book and gave it five stars. And so, just very briefly, want to run down the reviews of History Lover. Okay. Okay. Who, who whose reviews? The review of, of uh, Bram Stoker's Lair of the White Worm is pretty boring. It's just like, hey, great read. I loved it. It's good. So not very exciting, but five stars. Okay. But uh, let me hit you with uh, with some of the other things that uh, history, history lover, lover okay. like. I'm, yes. get, I'm picturing patches on the elbows of his jacket, you know, meerschaum pipe. Um, 
That's yes, and and uh, tabletop, uh, you know, little painted figurines doing <laughs> Civil War yes. recreations. <laughs> yes, I think you've nailed it. Uh, Sports Illustrated magazine, uh, four stars, five stars. Okay, all right. Per- purchased an issue to read a specific article. <laughs> no, no complaints. <laughs> Odds that it was a uh, a uh, swimsuit article. Ninety five percent. Yes. Well. Well, let's get to, to the next one. Uh, Vanity Fair magazine. <laughs> uh, four stars. Five stars. Okay. No complaints. It's a magazine. <laughs> that was the title of the review. The review says, Normal Enough magazine. Purchased for a specific article I wanted to read. No complaints. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So, uh, maybe it's about uh, you know Napoleon or something. Maybe I don't know. They're a uh, closer weekly magazine, which I've never heard of, but appears to be like People magazine or something. It looks like a, a retrospective on the late John Ritter is on the cover of the sample here. <laughs> um, uh, five stars. Five stars. No complaints. <laughs> Normal Enough magazine. Purchased wow. for a specific article I wanted to read. Oh, my God. <laughs> In Style magazine. Okay. Uh, well, he's a history lover. Uh, five stars. Five stars. No complaints. <laughs> Normal enough magazine purchased for a specific article I wanted to read. Oh, it sounds like a weird chant. Normal enough magazine. Normal yeah. enough magazine. Um, and then there, there's many, many. I, I recommend if you have a, a spare <laughs> minute, dig into history lovers reviews. Holy crap. The, the fascinating, uh, glimpse inside of a, of, of a mind. And just one more, um, and there are many more magazines, and they, they, you, I think you get the drift there. This is um, 25 cent Canadian folder, coin folder, that is. Oh, like where you store your, your Canadian you quarters? You store your Canadian coins <laughs> in this, yes. Uh, one star? Five stars. <laughs> Glad <it>. I ordered. <laughs> Perfect for organizing your Canadian coins. <laughs> Oh man, I was I thought maybe there was a chance he bought it, not thinking it was Canadian and the USA quarters wouldn't fit. But I guess that's all right. Checks final out. F- final twist, big twist, Canadian five cent folder, one star, five star. Damn it! <laughs> Perfect for organizing <laughs> Canadian. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you just you just sense his love of history in these reviews. You sense that uh, you know, he's he he likes to think about how these products uh would have been interpreted by our forebearers and how people right. in the future might uh, might judge us based on our purchases. Oh, isn't that incredible? <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so that's the mind of a person who loves Bram spoke Stoker's Lair of the White Worm. Incredible. That's, that's the kind of person. So. Well, yeah, so you, you think that he probably enjoys the uh, the descriptions of evil kites and uh, earthenware serving dishes and uh, uh, well holes, etc. Right, right. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, I lied. There is a twist. Uh, review of Fine Point Iris Scissors. This is a small pair of scissors. Brother. Well, one star. Three stars uh. are okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm done with yes, history. Thank you, it's thank you, history a, it's lover. A rich text. If you're listening, history lover, thank you, and uh, we hope that your your magazines. What was it? Normal, normal, normal enough, enough magazine. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, 
That was fun. Now we have to now get to the hard work. Now we slog back in. Yeah, and we yeah. start off. We start off in chapter twenty-four, a startling proposition, um, and we we get something that I, you know, I enjoy. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of questions about this. We're we're uh, we, we're not sure about some of what's happening in this book, and it's always fun when the characters maintain the same level of confusion as uh, as we the readers do. It, uh, because the more that Mimi thought over the late events, the more puzzled she was. <laughs> Which is always always good, yes. <laughs> um, and then she starts asking questions that I, we're, I guess we just have to get into this right off the bat. But she says, uh, "Her could it be possible that she's she's sort of puzzling out their tea party, you know, where they had gone over there, and then the the slop buckets had been filled with tea leaves, and the room had filled with smoke." She says, "Could it be possible that some of them, all of them, had been mistaken that there had been no white worm at all? Who has implied or suggested?" That there was no white worm. We had gotten to the point where they were just calling Lady Arabella the white worm. But she didn't see at the dinner party. She she just got smoked on and <laughs> and ran into the, did the Mr. Bean thing and almost fell into the hole. Into the she hole. didn't see the white worm, but right? She, she saw the hole. And as the characters in the book have, have repeatedly emphasized, that hole is all the evidence they need that there's a antediluvian thousand-year-old worm. Yeah, I mean, what grows large grows up and grows down, right? <laughs> it's just science, people. But so she has this doubt, and we talked about this offline. There is there is there a doubt? By the end of the book, it seems like there might be that she's just that, a, a that she is the white worm. Oh yeah, oh, it's. I had a, uh, a little plug for Patreon. I had a little back and forth with a fellow reader, a listener over there about. Well, I suddenly realized she's not the white worm. <laughs> And this uh, this fella confirmed he seems to be a, a more careful reader and, okay. and not as touchy and edgy as I am, mostly <laughs> angry at reading it, says, no, she's not. She uh, was bitten by the white worm and is some sort of uh, enthrall to it in some way that is, uh, even he said, is quite foggy, but she's not the white worm. All right. Well, so, I, I so our know. own characters have been feeding us uh, unreliable garbage about her white worm status. Yes. It goes on. However, I will I will say this. It goes on not to matter at all. <laughs> not a bit. Um, but uh, so she, Mimi is still concerned and she says like, you know, just – I think she's questioning her own sanity at this point as characters in these sort of uh, Victorian uh, Lovecraftian novels are wont to do. Just fancy how any stranger, say a doctor, would regard her if she were to tell him that she had been to a tea party – with an anti-Diluvian monster, and that they had been waited on by up-to-date men servants. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is a uh, a curious sentence right out of the gate, and uh, because it is so curious, I of course I I went to the dark web oh. to look for information, uh, and I also went to the uh, the unabridged version of the book, of oh, the um, audio book, yeah, the audible, yeah, and uh, there's nothing in there at all, unfortunately. Um, so I, I just thought there's not this. Yeah, there's nothing. It's weird. It's just a a black hole. It's oh. as though the pages had been torn out of the audiobook. It's it's bizarre. It's oh. just a. It's just like beeped or something. I well, don't should know. we just cut this out? Skipped then, over since this setup. No, no. What we should do is uh, we should put this down for future generations who will be doing book podcasts about Lair of the White Worm. They're going to be asking questions. Uh, so I thought we would we would introduce the um, 
the 372 Improvisational Theater. Oh, and, boy. Uh, um, I, would, I would like to assign roles now. Sure. And, uh, and let's dive in. I would like so, you to play play her. Play, play Mimi. Mimi. Okay. And I Great. shall be playing the doctor. <laughs> and uh, and let's just go through it and see how this would play out. Um, I am a Victorian doctor. You are Mimi, a okay. married woman of, what, 24? Three. Super young from uh, from Sumatra, um, and yeah, okay. So we're so we're at a tea party. Wait, wait. Before you go, remember you know what snake charmer music sounds like. You're very familiar with that. I don't know how that informs <laughs> your character, but just just remember that. Okay. And so you've walked into my office. I've pulled that paper over the uh, the little examination table, so it's nice fresh paper. You're not sitting on someone else's paper. Okay. And uh, and then uh, go ahead and report to me, the doctor. Um, well, I, uh, here's my insurance card. I uh, trust you'll see it's all up to date. Um, yes, 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 yes. Someday we'll have free health care. But anyway, go, 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 go ahead. <laughs> oh, that would be the day, doctor. Um, but yeah, I just, um, you know, it's just been a little tickle in my throat. So I thought that I would just come to see you purely precautionary. I'm sure it's nothing. Uh, yes, yes. Very good of you to do so. A tickle in the throat can be quite, quite serious in these yeah. days. Sure. And I've, you know, there's been nothing um, out of the ordinary. I haven't, you know, been uh, sharing. Well, now that you mention it, I, I did yes. go to a rather, I did, I did, I did go to a rather odd uh, tea party um, the other uh, day. Uh, yeah. Do tell this, this could play quite, this could be very weighty upon your condition, young lady. Yeah. Well, it was, it, you know, I, I, I do, and you know, go through a lot of society parties in my role as the, um, Naturally, we all do, except the poor people. Sure, and, and my husband, as you will know, is not poor. He does own thousands of horses. Oh, that's very good. That speaks well of a young man. The more horses, the better, we say. That's, that's what I'd say, well too. well-known saying. Yes, right, right. It must be a doctor thing. Anyway, so, um, you know, lots of people were there. There were dukes, there were duchesses, there were uh, great uncles, and <laughs> there was one anti-Devulian monster there at the tea party. I'm sure that that's not a big deal. Um, and uh, we your, were... your inability to pronounce antediluvian troubles me. <laughs> Try it again, young lady. Tickle in the throat, I said. Uh, Certainly. I, there was a antediluvian monster at this party. Yeah, closer, closer. Go, go on, though. Go but on. yeah, so uh, yeah, it was it was weird. We were uh, I was sort of like making eyes with this monster across the room. Uh, they were serving us tea. These um, up to date mm-hmm. men servants were giving us the tea party. Wait, and wait, so this- wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Yes, I, I, I get tea party. I get rich people. I get dukes. Okay. Uh, I assume there was a slop bucket. Uh, Sure, full of tea leaves that were burning. Right, right, right. Yes, this is all very, very on the up and up. But what is this about up-to-date men servants? Please expound upon this. This is quite extraordinary. I mean, how up-to-date? Well, they have, did they have space helmets on? Well, no, but they were, you know, they were very well appointed. You could tell that they were, they were, they were. Did they have ray guns? Their 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 clothes were of the current styles. No, they were not futuristic men servants. They were oh, they were, oh, I see, were, I see. Well, this is even more extraordinary. Were they wearing the uh, the finery of the day? I didn't get too close to see like who the designer was because I was sort of making eyes, like I said, with a anti-Diluvian monster from across yes, the room. Yes, 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 anti-Diluvian monster. Blah 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 blah. 
up-to-date men seven. How, how how big were the spats they were wearing? Were what? they large or, 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 or well, were they small? I mean, they were they were large. I mean, that's what I that's what the current style is, and they were up to date, as I've said. However, oh. this monster oh. was sort of doing uh, these you see me stro- eyes at you see me. me stroking my chin over this. This is quite extraordinary. Enough about the monster. Now, now the the shoes were they were they polished in the manner of men servants of the day? Oh, well, of course they were, because they were up-to-date men servants of the day. Oh, my I, God. However, the, this monster ha, did hang on, abscond I'm with an, it. I'm calling in another doctor. No, uh, I... Do, doc, doctor, doctor Richard. This is not a serious condition. Yes, I do not need two doctors. Yes, sir. Not there, doctor. There's a woman in here with a quite extraordinary tale. She saw an antediluvian monster. Who cares? No, no, you, no, that's not the extraordinary thing. They were up-to-date men servants. What? I'll be right in. Doctor, you are doing two voices out in the hall. That is clearly you stepping out in the hall. (laughs) Is that enough? Was that enough for the future generations? I think we've got the point across. Uh, You're welcome, future people. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, future history lovers, may we say. Yes. I think that they would be very... (laughs) Normal enough sketch about an antediluvian monster. (laughs) Uh, and so that's a word I've never encountered before this book. I, uh, I, I, I did look it up in the, the very first time it happened, and that just means just pre-flood. Yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, glad we solved that issue. Let's march on. Okay. Um, and uh, so, so Adam gets back from a walk. He's exhilarated. Um, and uh, that exhilaration will not be short-lived because he gets a very intriguing uh, letter wrote to him by Ari- Lady Arabella. And uh, if you thought that the uh, the book was was short on uh, on on drama so far, you have not seen anything yet because uh, she is asking him if he wants to purchase Diana's Grove from her. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the most insane turn in the book is is about a land sale. Yes, if, if it's it's so insane, <laughs> I don't think that anyone has any idea. Again, go to Patreon. We tried to puzzle this out. No one has an explanation for this. <laughs> um, so she uh, she's saying like uh, it was bought by her husband, Captain Adolphus Ranger March, um, and he, she's in debt, I guess. And she has another home. This is just the one she's inherited. So she's looking to unload this in order to, I guess, sell the settle the debts. And she knows that you know he might not need it, but she says maybe some of your Australian friends would want to buy it. Um, and uh, I guess he seems like he's sort of into the idea. Yeah, he like with no, so he he has in the back of his mind this plan to destroy the monster that's already in place, mm-hmm. right? And then she just says, "Oh, would you like to buy the home of the the monster, which I may be, or which I may be, <laughs> right? The- sort of related to in some." strange and uh vague way right and he's like doesn't need to go like check it out like do a a, a open house because he's already been there because they tried to kill him there twice uh just the previous day um and uh he's so intrigued by this this letter which goes on for about you know probably three pages of a real book that he uh reads it over several times <laughs> um the, my favorite sentence in it was this is one of the ones where we'll just read the whole thing with the punctuation um 
It strikes me, comma, however, comma, that among your Australian friends may be someone who wishes to make a settlement in the old country, comma, and would care to fix the spot in one of the most historic regions in England, full of romance and legend, comma, and with a never-ending vista of historical interest, M- an estate which, comma, though small, comma, is in perfect condition and with illimitable possibilities of development and many doubtful M- or unsettled M- rights which have existed before the time of the Romans or even Celts, Celts, comma, who were the original possessors. End of sentence. My God, when you read it out loud, it's even more incredible. <laughs> so he reads that several times and uh, um, only one thing to do in this situation of, uh, of, of being presented with this once-in-a-lifetime author. He has to go uh, up to the study uh, where he knows Sir Nathaniel would be at this hour. <laughs> God, it's well, he's on brand. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Totally on brand. Um, you skipped over, though. I love the name of her late husband. Yes. <laughs> Cap- it sounds, I mean, altogether it doesn't sound this way, but it, it sounds like it could be the full name of one of those uh, like 30s serials about a, an action hero or something. Captain Adolphus Ranger March. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, he's maybe a relative of uh, Timothy Aloysius Cadwallader Dum Dum Dugan. <laughs> One of our... and, and he has, I love that he had another residence, the <laughs> yes. Crest Appleby. <laughs> no reason to put that detail in. It has no bearing on it. The fact that his name is in there, no, we don't meet him. We don't know. He's not related to anyone. It's just. Yeah. It's just here's a here's a detail about a guy you don't know with a funny name who owned another place with a funny name. Right? Yeah, it's very uh, George R. R. Martiny of like you know maybe someday I'll write the book about him and this residence and it will be also a thousand pages long. <laughs> oh, the worm of Lambden is jealous. <laughs> uh. Um, and, uh, and Sir Nathaniel offers to lend him money, but Adam says, uh, you know, thank you, sir, most heartily, but I have more money at immediate call than I shall want, uh, which is sort of his, uh, you know, his subtle reminder that he does own a thousand horses back in Australia. Um, quite a, quite a flex right in the middle of the book. <laughs> and then, uh, and then Lord Nathaniel starts asking the important questions that we're all, we've all been thinking. We've all wondered, you know, is she the white worm? Uh, how are they going to dispatch her? How close are the houses together? Now, Lord Nathaniel starts asking, why a white worm? And, uh, it's sort of like the, the, the origin of why this worm is going to be white. To me, a, a, a worm that, you know, lives underground and never sees the sun being white is a perfectly normal color you'd expect one to be, perhaps. But, uh, his theory is, is exciting. And his theory is, is clay. China clay. Mm-hmm. It's in the ground. Um, and, uh, the, the bed of China clay has become a highway for the worm. And so when the worm moves through this white china clay, uh, the dust of the clay gets attached to its skin, and um, hence the name, which has no cryptic significance, only fact. So the, so the dirt is white, and so therefore the worm is white. And he spends close to two paragraphs explaining that theory. <laughs> I uh, At this point, I said... I feel like I read a chapter and then I fall down the stairs and hit my head against a metal <laughs> railing and I have to start over. What what the hell are we talking about at this point? When he stops and says, has it ever struck you why the old name, the lair of the white worm, was given? 
what the hell has this book been about? <laughs> yes. They saw the white worm. <laughs> yes, exactly. It towered Why? above the trees. It's because it's white. It's white. Yes. <laughs> and we call them worms, even though, which he has to constantly explain, well, you know, snake. You know. Sure. Uh, uh, so that was, that was infuriating. But, but then they're, um, they're calmly talking about Lady Arabella again, as though that's just a different, like now they're going to enter into this thing. They've thought all along that she is the white worm. What in the hell is happening? I, yeah, they have called her the white worm. They, they just, you know, they, they started referring to her only as that. So I, I, it's again, the, the question of whether she was bit by it as a child and now she's in its thrall is, uh, is eternal and, um, that appears to be the case. However, not laid out well enough for you and I who are staring at this book for, um, closer than we read just about anything. I also, just to go back, he goes, after he gets the offer, he goes to Mimi, he goes to his wife, mm-hmm. you know, before before you make a purchase of this size, sure. one must uh, one must consult one's wife. Yeah, he's a modern and man. And she just says, uh, oh, dearest, I'm willing that you should judge what is best for us. <laughs> and he says, well, or no, she says, we're in the hands of God, and he has hitherto guided us and will do so to his own end. So... Did God guide her into the zone of slipperiness with a curtain <laughs> over her head? And where is she pulling this from? Yeah, I don't know. God is up there just like, leave me out of this. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. This is madness. <laughs> Why is the worm white? <laughs> uh, yeah. So the, so the clay-covered worm. So now we're, we're on to a clay-covered worm. Yeah, and the clay, the china clay is evidently very valuable. So that's Lord Nathaniel's advice is like, sure, there's a antediluvian monster that's, uh, that's living there that's wreaking havoc and killing people. But that's, uh, you could make some ka-ching if you start unloading that white china clay to people. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, which is a bizarre thing considering he said, I already have more money than I know what to do with. I'm wiping my ass <laughs> yes. with, you know, jet skis over here. I don't need any more money <laughs> and his uncle owns a house here he's you know there's doom tower down the street like you, you what he doesn't need any more property um but the, you do get a uh you speaking of the uncle you do get a uh a, a token uncle appearance um he says with his friend's aid adam secured the property without loss of time so just sort of yada 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 over that then he went to see his uncle and told him about it Mr. Salton was delighted to find his young relative already constructively the owner of so fine an estate, one which gave him an important status in the county. He made many anxious inquiries about Mimi and the doings of the White Worm, but Adam reassured him. Last time we see the uncle until the final page of the book, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that appearance. Yeah. It's, it's like a, a 70s cop show where they're at the end they all get together and laugh like he's just there. With yes, them. yes. This yeah. sure was an adventure. Yeah, they, they, they wheel him out and uh, he's, he's happy for everybody. That's his general role. They hear his footsteps and then he's happy for people. Uh, I will point out that during the speech with uh, Sir Nathaniel, when they're consulting on this, it says Sir Nathaniel hesitated longer than usual before speaking. <laughs> now, it has been pointed out many times that he pauses for several minutes yes. before he speaks. So this <laughs> uh, this is extraordinary. That was uh, Did you look up that on the uh, on the dark web audiobook? Because that seems that's your sort of you. That's I been didn't a go-to let's, in let's, the past for. 
Well, let's recreate it right now. That's not. Ready? That's no. not. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, all right. But so, so he has a um, Lord Nathaniel asks. Um, they, I think they go back to the smoking room. So I'm not. I'm not sure if these are all if study parlor and smoking room are all just names for the same thing, like you know, den or uh, living room and all those places. But anyway, so he he asks him if he has a plan, and Adam has a plan. Um, he says that. Ever since the time of the Chartist trouble, so Lord Nathaniel, of course, falls asleep immediately because that's a terrible way to. <laughs> right. But then they get into something like he's like we 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 covered this on a fanfic last time. Like the he's immune to all elements except fire. But then he says the best protection against fire is not water but sand. So I propose to provide uh, as soon as it comes into my possession an enormous amount of sand and shall take uh, occasion of pouring it into the well hole in which it will in time choke. It will hold the struggling body in place till the rest of my scheme can come into practice. And as the sand is being poured into the well hole, quantities of dynamite can also be thrown in. And so Sir Nathaniel, of course, says this is idiotic. Abandon this purchase and let's let's flee back to Australia. Uh, kidding, of course, he nods in approval and says, this seems like a good plan. Nay, a very excellent one. So uh, he's down with the filling the well hole with sand and dynamite plan. Uh, it's it's a plan that, again, you reread it three times and you, you go, I think I did hit my head. This is not actually <laughs> happening. Yes, he's he's working on a plan that Wiley Coyote just stands off to the side and is like shaking his head furiously, right. like don't, don't what are you doing? No, 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 no! Do not try this. <laughs> it's uh, again, we can ruin this. It does not pay off. Um, but my like, I was questioning. So the worm is going to be down in this hole, and it's going to feel like you know these these grains of sand start raining down upon it, and it's just going to sort of be like. I guess that's happening. It, it has no, it doesn't flee that hole. It doesn't like pop up and be like, could you knock it off? Like, um, it's just going to sit there and, and allow the sand to be poured down on it. And then dynamite starts, you know, being, being interspersed into it every now and then. And, and what is it? Uh, I thought there, they mentioned a little bit later, maybe in the next chapter that somebody feels good about leaving the windows open or something. So implying that, they had until this point been, you know, the windows have been shut tight because the worm is sneaking around looking in windows. Remember? <laughs> right. Yeah, they could look into any normal window. <laughs> so that's happening. So then it goes back down in the hole and was like, wait a minute. There's like four tons of sand that wasn't right. here before. <laughs> well, I'll just squirm through it and go on with my day. Yeah. Uh, it- it doesn't. It doesn't matter, and it seems like you know. It it, it seems like his first instinct that was his. You know, how are you going to solve this problem? I don't. This Bram, we're talking about. I'll just pour sand into the hole, and no one asked any of these questions, and it, it ends up not really mattering because the dynamite seems to be the main key um, to to how it ends up getting destroyed. That's what's hilarious. He he tells him that the thing about sand goes on and on and on, and he's like, mm-hmm, sand, and he's talking <laughs> about what kind of sand. Then he just casually follows up with the dynamite right yes and it's i think it's like you know the planning of d-day you know and they're sitting down and general morgan comes in and what's what's your plan this is quite an undertaking uh uh gliders some gliders <laughs> will land just beyond san maria glace that's it oh no of course well, not 1,200 yeah. plane airborne assault and amphibious assault with yeah. 5,000 vessels Four and 160,000 yeah. troops. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why did you lead with the gliders? 
<laughs> oh, and yeah. But so yeah, we that D Day provides a good uh, segue into the next chapter, which is titled "The Last Battle." God, if only. Yeah, right. Uh, and so, yeah, the uh, it is a, an exciting chapter title with lots of premise, so we kick it off thusly. Lady Arabella had instructed her solicitors to hurry on with the conveyance of Diana's Grove, so no time was lost in letting Adam Sultan have formal possession of the estate. So we get we get real estate handovers in terms of this uh, in terms of this battle kicking off, uh, and uh, he he starts to uh, he starts to put his plan into fruition. In order to accumulate the necessary amount of fine sea sand, he ordered the steward to prepare an elaborate system of top dressing all the grounds. A great heap of the sand brought back from bays on the Welsh coast began to grow at the back of the grove. No one seemed to suspect it was there for any purpose other than what had been given out. The final the final act <laughs> leaps into action. Uh, you missed the exciting part of building rough, corrugated iron sheds. Oh, yes. <laughs> Adam put up a rough, corrugated iron shed behind the grove in which he stored his explosives. And he says that uh, no one suspects anything when he's loading all the great heaps of sand. Yeah. And then uh, a, a paragraph later, uh, everyone's wondering why there's so much <laughs> sand. It puzzled everyone around. So, again, I don't know. Maybe the uh, unabridged explains this to a fine-honed T, but I, I very much doubt it. Yeah, so he says he's just putting up a elaborate system of top dressing. So he's just putting—he's going to make the whole thing into, like, a, a beach or a sandbox. Like, that's his explanation? I don't know. <laughs> and so, like, yeah, he's, he's, he, he goes on a shed purchasing adventure um, or a shed constructioning adventure. Like, that's, that is that is his, his leaping into action. Um, and the whole the whole— thing is observed by lady arabella who has as they say lady arabella had not yet moved from the house though she had formally handed over the estate so, so like, this is like a, a san francisco real estate deal where you know you buy the house and the but the tenant gets to live there because it's so dear like on the off chance that they'll someday die or move you know <laughs> it's so, uh yeah it's mine but yeah you could crash there i guess it's insane did they make her like you know did he like you know walk through and be like oh so this was already damaged like you know you this is this is in good shape so if you damage it before you move out that's going to be added on to the uh to the escrow price I see you have a cat. Hmm. All right. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, the, the sand grows so f- to proportions so vast as to puzzle the bailiffs and farmers. And uh, she she expresses a, a weird desire to him um, that before she leaves where she has lived so long, she has a desire to know the depth of the well hole. <laughs> that's a that's a, a normal tenant request right when i i think that's built into a lot of uh housing contracts um before i go i just need to know that's <laughs> like saying you know i just wonder where does uh, the pipes in my toilet go right. you can figure that out before I, you take yeah. possession yes, or i hand the keys over i'd like that is to my, know my one stipulation before you uh, receive this great deal on this property <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is uh, lunacy. Uh, but of course, it works out well for him because he's been uh, 
He's been wanting to have a chance to figure out how much sand he needs to dump into the hole. <laughs> this is going to be the perfect opportunity. Sure, but he's already started hauling in vast piles of sand enough to 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 puzzle the stewards of the property. So, uh, you know, he's he's just doing this uh, with the, with the knowledge that he may entirely be overbuying on sand. <laughs> he has a not. Uh, you'd think that he would you know, think of that. Uh, yeah. So if you were Bram. Adam wants to know how big the well hole is, and he can say, I want to know uh, if this water's ever going to wire out. I'm, I'm going to run out. I'm going to buy this house, but I need to know this depth before it. And she is forced to then let him measure it. But for whatever reason, he does it the exact opposite, and it makes no sense. Uh, but you might say, if you're reading it and you, you just you realize with tension, like there's, but he doesn't have the tools to measure this well hole. <laughs> what is he going to do? Ah, ha, ha, ha. Did did he does he even have a Kelvin sounding apparatus? Well, <laughs> dear reader, he does. He brought with him one from London, a Kelvin sounding apparatus with a sufficient length of piano wire. There we are with wire again. Yes. For testing any probable depth. Yep. What the f- yeah. What the hell is that? Yeah, it's like uh, you you just you know you you ask those questions as a as a viewer and uh, and Bram is always one step ahead for you. <laughs> Uh, and then it follows up that insane sentence with the wire passed easily over the running wheel. Uh, for those of who were worried about how easily it was go- passing over the running wheel. Yeah. Skeptics are going to have a hard time with this book because all these details are just, you know, they're meticulously laid out. And as in a classic Bram Stoker fashion, he doesn't measure it at that time. He was satisfied to wait till the most <laughs> advantageous time for his final experiment. He needs to be, you know, to, for, for well measuring, mercury needs to be in retrograde or something like that. Maybe there was a, you know, the humidity was not going to give him an entirely accurate measurement. <laughs> With his Kelvin sounding apparatus. <laughs> Um, but, uh, and, and then like in the fashion of, uh, you know, the fast paced serials we were talking about, a 30 serial mm-hmm. in the meantime, Ooh, this is going to be good. <laughs> uh-huh. Affairs had been going quietly at Mercy Farm. Ooh, the final battle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, quietly, so quietly you say that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, Lilla's, uh, story. Like during all this, we've sort of she's been lost in the shuffle, possibly because she's the least interesting character and doesn't really seem to matter. But uh, we're going to go and check in with her. And uh, she is now uh, quite horny. She's uh, watched her sister uh, up and marry or cousin, whatever her her best friend. Uh, And so she is now uh, considering her options in terms of trying to land a man. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, as we have seen, there is not much choice. We either have two very old men, one of them who may or may not actually be in the story. So she turns her sights on, uh, of course, Edgar Coswell. She's, of course, skeptical. It says she did not approve of the personality of Edgar Coswell, and his struggles with Mimi had frightened her. But he was unmistakably an excellent parti. It's an italicized word. Much better than she could have any right to expect. Um, I don't know why this is something that she's even considering because he has come over and tried to hypnotize her twice already. Um, she has passed out both times or (laughs) nearly passed out once, I think, and fully passed out the second time. Yeah. Only to be saved by her sister's comforting presence. But, uh, he, as luck would have it, he sends a note asking if he might come to tea on the following afternoon and her heart sinks. If it was only for her father's sake, she must not refuse him. I have no idea 
uh, how her father factors into this, if he is trying to get her married off to a rich man, because he has depths as well, just like uh, Lady Arabella. But uh, she is so filled with fear by the prospect that she has a haunting feeling that she would as soon die as live. This, along with the selling of the property, makes less than zero <laughs> sense. It is infuriating. She, Her sister, who is supposed to be protecting her, and everyone knows that this guy is targeting her mm-hmm. and trying in some way to possess her soul or to kill her. We don't really know what it is. No. We don't really know why he is targeting her, but he is. And he's a, uh, you know, he's very, very sinister. He has mesmeric powers. Yeah. He has tried this several times before. It is as though he has come over, uh, and, you know, and, and held pulled a gun uh, on her. Yeah. Pulled a gun or assaulted her. Um, you know, it's, it's insane. And now he, (laughs) so in order to solve this problem of her targeting her, the, uh, the guy marries her protector and takes her away and leaves her all alone. (laughs) So, so thanks Dick. Um, this is your plan. It's really going well. And, uh, all she has to do is say, you know what? I'm, uh, I, I've got consumption. Yeah. Thanks anyway. Yeah. Uh, got, no, a, but sh- got some. You got got some some mega diarrhea. It's uh, not a good time. <laughs> you wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't want to see me like this. But to not disappoint her dad, who is a guy who has wandered into the room with his readers on once, uh, yes. reading the, the sports page and looked up to see this hypnotic battle going on and not noticed it. Uh, to not disappoint this rich character, <laughs> she invites her assailant and potential murderer into the parlor. Yes, but for but, tea. But to her credit, she has a uh, a plan of her own. Um, she's she's going to uh, she's 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 going to ensure that when he arrives, uh, he is not feeling welcome. Is this? <laughs> and she does this by. <laughs> Using her woman's natural forethought, uh, she provided the furnishing of the tea table as a subtle indication of the social difference between her and her guest. Instead of arranging the silver teapot and china cups, she had set out an earthen teapot, such as was in common use in the farm kitchen. Aha! <laughs> so Get around she, that, Edgar Caswell. <laughs> so she's, uh, she's going like... Uh, you know, you know, she's uh, uh, assault via Emily Post in this uh, in this setting. Like uh, it, it, this is this is baffling. That she also uses out the same idea in the cups and saucers of thick homely Delft, and the in a cream jug of a similar kind. <laughs> the bread was of simple wholemeal, home baked. So, ah, <laughs> uh, uh, the last battle. Yes, exactly. Um, so I guess when he arrives, he's just. I don't know if he's going to maybe. Think that she's beneath him or something? Is that is that what she's trying to do? I don't think it's intended to sap his strong psychic powers by just serving I have him no sub- subpar idea. bread. Well, but then it's confusing because uh, the butter was good <laughs> since she had made it herself. So doesn't right, that sort yes. of spoil the plan? Her face beamed with satisfaction when the guest eyed the appointments with a supercilious glance. <laughs> I don't know what I have no idea what that means. Do I I'm shocked that we didn't get a lengthy butter churning scene as well if she's if this is how she's been spending her spare time since her sister got married. Um but yeah, it's the so this so this is how this is how the majority of the last battle takes place. And so 
this is fortunately something that was covered in the audiobook version and this was a this was an audiobook that really um they, they really brought it in terms of production values they had some 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 very intense soundtrack music that really that you know we we mock but this this stuff really you know if you if you set it up the right way have the right actors have the right uh effects and 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 score it it really does convey how in, how intense this last battle is um, oh wow! So so once you sort of dress it up with production uh, and stuff, it really sure it, it yeah. I mean, it. Yeah, yeah, us sitting here sort of you know braying like donkeys over how 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 silly this stuff is. Sure, you're gonna anything would sound like garbage if we if we just sat here and laughed at it. But like once you once you have some talented actors uh, in intense music, it, it it brings home the 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 what Bram was really going for. Oh, so we don't we don't have to improvise this scene. Sorry, no, it's. Oh, okay. <laughs> you you really had some fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well uh, let's uh, let's let's listen. take a listen. It is a difficult matter which you have undertaken. To destroy such a monster is something like one of the labors of Hercules, and the worm is already master of all elements except fire. But I dare say you have mapped out some plan in your mind. I certainly have, Lord Nathaniel. I certainly have. Hi, I'd like one set of blueprints for a corrugated iron shed. Ooh, that's kind of expensive. Do you have, like, a rougher shed? Ah, sir, the sand shipment is here. Throw it on the pile! And the transfer of property form from the county clerk needs to be notarized by Wednesday. Okay, great. I'll, I'll block off half an hour to swing by there on my trip into town to pick up a Kelvin-sounding apparatus. Oh, there's often a line, sir. Well, then it looks like I'll have to block off a whole hour. <laughs> Very good, sir. That white worm is going down. What the hell are you guys doing? Uh, Mimi, what do you mean? You talked up this big plan of yours as being harder than any labor of Hercules, and then you're just building sheds and notarizing documents. God, you suck. I'm going to have to do this myself. It's been said that my black Burmese eyes can glow when I get upset, and they're damn sure glowing now. Coswell has hypnotized my sister three times. Well, you know what they say. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, time to die. So, I'll just lay out slightly less nice serving dishes than I'll normally use. An earthenware teapot, that'll show him. And look at this cream jug. There's a chip in the side. Doesn't affect the pouring at all, but if he notices, he'll be moderately offended. And I'll slightly overbake the bread, maybe bump the thermostat down a degree or two. You call that fighting evil? Setting out the B-grade China? I didn't want to get involved, but it appears I'm going to have to take this into my own hands. For you see... Doom Tower isn't just a name, it's a way of life. Unfortunately, it's a way of life for the White Worm. And there's one man who can make it happen. Great Uncle Salton. I said, Great Uncle Salton? Hello? Yeah, he hasn't been around in a long time. Oh, I, I see. Well, maybe he's... Napping? Yeah, no, I, I checked. Um, I think he might have wandered into town. Hmm. 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 Yeah. 
well, I, I didn't really have a plan B. Well, you want to check out my shed? Yeah, sure, why not? Just tread carefully. Lady Arabella's stuff is in moving boxes everywhere. So yeah, I mean it's easy to easy to Ooh. easy to laugh from our position, but uh, you know when the vision is truly realized, it it really is uh, an intense an intense uh, chapter. Right, right. Reading a script is is not the same thing as seeing a movie. So, yeah, I <laughs> right. get it I get exactly. It. Uh, but yeah, th- there is a battle. Um, there is a the, the, he does one more psychic battle, um, he, which you know involves sitting and staring at her. Right, which also the confusing uh, thing, he comes in, his face was more set and ironclad than ever. His piercing eyes seem from the very beginning to look her through and through. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Next paragraph. <laughs> At first, Edgar Caswell was courteous and polite, even thoughtful. <laughs> With his iron set face and staring her through and through. And, and he was, but he was doing it very courteously yeah. and politely. This butter. It's delicious. <laughs> Did you make it yourself? Rather thick-walled cream pitcher you have here. <laughs> I'm enchanted. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, the, they, it says, By this means, as the minute went on, both developed the power and preserved the equality in which they had begun. I'm not sure what that means. And then uh, she has her pictures of her family out, and so I guess those are sort of giving her strength. Um, and it says, without warning, the psychic battle between the two individualities began afresh. And I, I mean, I thought there had been just a few red flags. You know, it's hard to say that without warning, as the guy who's hypnotized <laughs> yes. her twice, causing her to faint, has come over. Like that's you know, it's. <laughs> um, but then, as we talked about in the beginning, there's just this throughout the whole book. The main problem I've had is that there's been absolutely no sense of like the physicality of anything. Like no, there's been no sense of the physical space, all the physical action. It's all told, not shown. And this is this is sort of like what the what the psychic battles are like. It says, I and I guess you know to his credit. It is just someone sitting and staring at someone, so there's not that much to convey. But he says stuff like, He began his preliminary stare with a conscious sense of power, and as it appeared to have immediate effect on the girl, he felt an ever-growing conviction of ultimate victory. After a little, Lilla's resolution began to flag. So, like, you just have, uh, you know, it just just pretty much says he sat there and stared. Eventually, it started to work. (laughs) Yep, I... I said the same thing. Like, what does this look like? Right. Paint this picture. You know, draw the little uh, the little line drawings that are in like the Sherlock Holmes books of him bursting into the room and seeing the guy being, you know, the speckled band being the snake wrapped around his neck or something. Mm-hmm. And my dear Watson, yes. uh, what the hell does this look like? What's the little sketch of this? <laughs> yeah, we two people sitting around butter and cream and tea. Right. We ran a, a Patreon meme contest, and multiple people. Um, made images based on you know this the staring and all of them found like different sort of old timey illustrations of a guy hypnotizing someone sort of doing the sleep type of thing so like yeah. it's that I guess it's whatever you know they, they, all those images exist as a stock thing so I think that's all that this is is him coming in and and doing the the two hands and the the the, the crazy eyes with the you know using the uh, he's got the facial hair that you'd expect the sort of evil looking beard and and that's exactly I think what we're supposed to take away all right well the <laughs> That 
sizzling action is uh, you know further heightened when uh, when Mimi rushes in. Of course, and uh, she, Lila Lila had collapsed, um, and so she comes in. Her hand swept the air in front of Edgar Caswell, <laughs> seeming to drive him backward more and more by each movement, till at last he seemed to be actually hurled through the door which Mimi's entrance had left open, and fell at full length on the gravel path without. Yeah. So she comes in and just like, she's like waving her hand in front of his face. Yeah. She's like a, like a, like a bad dog or something. Like, no, no. And he seems to back up. In fact, he seems so much that he falls on the <laughs> gravel path. Uh, so I would say it's more than seems at this point. Yes. I think it does work. Yeah, and we, we're, we're given no real uh, sense of how Mimi's able to do this except for, you know, the the, the like vague racism of, oh, well, she's from Sumatra. So, you know, powers. <laughs> right. So she's, so she's able to do that. And, uh, and I, I, Lady Arabella was also there. She had come in to sort of assist him or something. But uh, – the 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 whole the whole repelling or the whole seeming to repel him was for naught because the chapter ends with uh, Lilla, Lilla fainting away yet again. Yep. Uh, so this scene. So this is now. Is this the fourth time or the third? time? I believe that was the third time. Um, okay, but it was it was reported on about six times the mm-hmm. first battle. Yes. And then the second battle was also reported upon. So it feels like it's happened well, yeah. dozens of times. Um, uh, Adam went back to the uh, smoking parlor and, and told the story. So, yeah, every time that happens, it had to be retold again. <laughs> so this is going to be the the uh, description of this is going to be a, a, a 30 walnut affair. I <laughs> <imagine>. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it moves right on to Chapter 26 face to face. And uh, it starts off with... Uh, Mimi is is down on her hands and knees trying to uh trying to restore uh Lilla but uh alas uh she she raised Lilla's head and laid it on her warm young breast but all in vain the cold of the white features thrilled through her and she utterly collapsed when it was borne on to her that Lilla had passed away so she was hypnotized to death <laughs> the rich character of Lilla a very <laughs> ignominious end to this this beloved character right maybe she can uh, they will they will serve her butter at the funeral and we'll have one last taste of her of her handiwork but so i don't know what coswell's plan was you know i don't know what he was coming over here to do he he cuz this is this is seemingly what he his goal was um but but to, i don't know to what end this this occurred I have no idea what his plan was and what his revenge against. No, who's she wants revenge against? Lady Arabella wants revenge against Caswell. I don't know. Right. Uh, well, uh, she wants could, to uh, marry Caswell, I think, to get her out of debt. But I don't know if yes. that still is on the table now that she's sold the house, which I assume gave a, a pretty pretty penny. And the she sold it because she went over to uh, see Caswell, right? And he. He didn't. Uh, he wasn't totally mean to her, so she thought, "I'm in." Right. So I'm going to sell the place. Like, <laughs> uh, just uh, you get this great description, though, in the uh, as she's sitting there with her dead sister uh, on her lap. She succeeded in controlling herself only to the extent that she did not scream. 
That's a bizarre way to describe it. The thing that she didn't do. I did not crap myself. (laughs) Okay. I I did not. I I had not gone there, but all right. What what else didn't you do? (laughs) Maybe that's like the classic, uh, you know, fitting her whole fist into her mouth type of uh, type of thing as she suppresses that scream. Oh, yeah. The scream queen of the 50s. Right. Right. Um, but then, uh, she, once she's done, you know, I don't know, cradling her sister in her breast, she goes to confront Caswall and we get, so we don't know what his, what his method is, but he has been persisting at this hypnotic attempt. But then he has this insane attempt when she goes over and and tells him that her sister's dead, uh, says for a long time, silence reigned and the two stood looking fixedly at each other, um, I guess, but not attempting to... They're just looking at each other, not hypnotizing. Mimi was the first to speak. You murderer. Lilla is dead. Dead? Good God. When did she die? She died this afternoon, just after you left her. Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) So again, just, just, you know, mind blown, not understanding what what anyone thinks, what anyone's goals are, what, what, whether he's evil or not, whether the bird is making, bird kite is making him do that. Um, uh, he seems like genuinely surprised and uh, and hurt by this news that he might have been responsible for this, you know. But he seemingly was was repeatedly attempting to do it. Yeah, and she and her just marching over and sort of you know hands on hips. Uh, Listen, you you you've been fresh with me one too many times, and now my sister's dead. And he's like, <laughs> "What me? Yes. Oh, please don't insult me." And then a couple times he says, "Don't say that," you know, like stop saying that. Mm-hmm. Take take care. You're you're overstepping your bounds. Right. Yes. Yeah. These are wild accusations, and that's it. <laughs> um, and she just leaves. Right. Yeah. She goes. She goes back, and uh, she she uses the phrase uh, "him killing her." He says she she tells Adam that he he did my darling to death, which is I, I appreciated that. That was a. <laughs> um but uh she 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 accused him uh oh i guess she no that's that's her saying that to him but she says you don't care for god or believe in him your god is your great kite which cows the birds of a whole district which is a it just to me it was that was a funny thing just to bring up you know let's leave the kite out of this the kite had nothing to do with it no no your your kite first it cowed the birds and now it has cowed my sister to death and he's uh, he's having to send a runner up to the kite, like uh, d- don't don't let her hurt your feelings. It's, no, it's okay. Yeah. She's she's insane. She's, she's mad up because again. her sister. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Consistent runners the whole time up there, like <laughs> uh, uh, sending runners up a kite, a hard thing to do. I, I went out and flew my kite. Uh, it was, uh, it was, it was hard to control it was my own evil bird kite that I bought. Uh, it never got to the point where I even was, was maintaining its, its, uh, stayed up in the air. So sending a runner up, it was, was not even something that I was able to consider. My kite is in hand. Oh. I, have, I have yet to, uh, unpack it, but, uh, it, it came with a lengthy instruction book. So oh, I'm boy. a little worried about that. <laughs> I assume it's all about runners. And, sure. Uh, How to send I'll uh, sit, I'll statues sit of Egyptian with... gods if you so desire. Yes, so I'll I'll sit down with some uh, some wine and uh, cream and butter and uh, and read that and uh, we'll be sending runners up very soon. So I'll post something <laughs> soon on Patreon. Sounds good. Um, well, so uh, once uh, Mimi is is you know has been distraught, she's confronting evil men. But uh, Adam, uh, meanwhile, busies himself with filling the well hole with the fine sand prepared for the purpose. So he is there for her in her time of need. 
Face to face is this chapter. <laughs> well, yeah, and that refers to not the uh, late 90s uh, punk band, but uh, it refers to uh, Mimi and Lady Arabella, who uh, Mimi, uh, in one of her many ish- uh, times of looking out the window, uh, sees Lady Arabella uh, moving swiftly and stealthily, looking back and around her at intervals, as if she feared to be followed. This gave Mimi an idea that she was up to no good. Gave her an idea. The, the, uh, they're they're filling in her wormholes <laughs> with dynamite. Like that, you've you've got. Hopefully, you have more than an idea that someone is up to no good. If you've if you've taken such steps, you're building corrugated rough iron sheds on her property. I think uh, Alicia had clearer ideas about whether or not the mister loved her than <laughs> yes. these people have about who's evil and what their intentions are. Oh, my God. They they seem to – they lose every bit of everything that happened before. Yeah. She was she was burning uh, papers in slop buckets to cause you to fall into well holes. Yes. <laughs> what is there to puzzle out? Yeah, she, she showed you pictures of her vacation. How was that yeah, not did not cemented in your mind that she's a terrible person? She's deeply evil. <laughs> uh, uh, but so she, she there's double secret following here. Oh yeah, the, it's, yeah he, he actually uses the phrase the hunter was being hunted um, yes. to, <laughs> to describe. Yeah, she she's not. Uh, she thought she was following Lady Arabella, but Lady Arabella was actually following her for like the fifth time in this book. Uh, but it, it ends. Uh, I love the Bafo chapter ending, so I'll read this one. Uh, As she did so, her heart sank, for now she was face to face with a difficulty which had not, comma, in her state of mental perturbation, comma, (laughs) occurred to her. Well, mental mental perturbation will do that for you. Yes. Uh, slap that chapter in front of the editor and go, try not to read on now, Mr. Editor. <laughs> yeah, the chapter endings in this one have been truly spectacular in terms of their mundane or their confusingness. It's, it's, it's one thing that he has going for it. Yep, the more commas, the better when you're ending a chapter. <laughs> uh, the one thing about uh, the one thing that uh, b- just before we move on to chapter 27 is that Edgar Coswald has had sort of an unusual reaction to, uh, to, um, to this uh, whole like being it says that when once Mimi came over there and sort of got angry with him accusing him of killing Lilla uh since he had heard of Lilla's death the gloom of his remorse emphasized by Mimi's upbraiding had made more hopeless his cruel selfish saturnine nature he heard no sound for his normal faculties seemed benumbed so M- Mimi upbraided him so much that he went deaf like it's like what is this character <laughs> this character is the foggiest it's it, it says he has i don't know what he is gloom of his remorse so he feels bad but then at some point in time like during during like the the many trials he was going through i think bill cosby showed up and all of a sudden his lawyer was like he has gone blind like he he faked being blind at his trial or something like that. So <laughs> may, that could be what Edgar Coswell is doing, hoping to gain some sympathy that he is now deaf. Um, but then again, this does not pay off. Um, he hears plenty of sounds as the uh, as the book winds to a conclusion. Is is he just overcome by sort of the memories of when the old servant that he met once died? <laughs> <laughs> he was so heartbroken over that. It's just like, no, it's happening again. Right. Yeah, that one took out his right ear and uh, Lilla's death and the well, the upbraiding took out his left ear. So, 
Well, at least uh, his communication with the the kite is still uh, he can still write notes. He doesn't have to <laughs> sure right. talking to it, right? Yeah, and the, however the kite com- communicates um, to him is is purely psychic energy, so uh, it shouldn't matter that much. But it doesn't matter at all because he can hear plenty uh, as the next chapter starts. But as, uh, before we move on to the next chapter. We have, uh, we can't do any fanfic this time because we've read the whole book and uh, know how it ends. But um, uh, listener Kevin, um, he did this for the Mister, I believe. He went through Goodreads and found reviews that are either of uh, White Worm or are of other books, uh, maybe somewhat related, but somewhat ir- or ironically related. And so we have some extra to those, and you can guess, I think, whether they're White Worm or of something else. Oh, all right. Well, and they're, um, they're positive reviews, negative reviews. So it's uh, it's all a, a grab bag of what what we're going to get here. Uh, I don't have to guess the other books. I just have to say white, white worm, worm or, or not. not. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oof. All right. Good. So one star re- review. Unbelievably bad bad plotting. While where otherwise interesting characters do astoundingly stupid and ridiculous things, just so that the author can have the ending he wanted. Mm, that's not white worm. That's of the white worm. Ah, I mean, you know, it makes sense. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> One star, what a mess. Incoherent narrative and non-existent characterization. A few interesting ideas that were overpowered by a heaping dose of overt racism. Well, I'm just, just playing the numbers and saying that's not. That's not. That is from the, the Call of Cthulhu, which I think is Lovecraft. Oh, has he got a nice dose of racism? <laughs> it sounds in his like stuff it might, might be par for the course with these guys. And, <laughs> okay. and, and love may, and he famously hated this book, but uh, maybe he thought it wasn't racist enough. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Don't hold back, man. Come on. <laughs> uh, one star. It's just bizarre. I even watched the movie to try and see what I was missing, and that didn't help it either. I shut the book. I turned off the movie. Couldn't stand to finish either. Well, I'll say Lair of the White Worm. <laughs> That's from a Goodread review of Dracula. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have to watch that movie of The White Worm just to see uh, how it stacks up and if any of our favorite uh, scenes do come across. I've heard from what I've heard, people who have already watched it, uh, they say it does not uh, does not bear much in in common with the book, unfortunately. Uh, Do you know is the the, if the kites in it, I'm in no matter what. (laughs) Right. That'll be, uh, you know, that that's a a key part of it. I think our enjoyment will be based on on kite scenes. Right. Five stars. It's a pretty creepy story involving love, jealousy, and some wicked cool supernatural monster stuff. I've decided that the author was seriously disturbed. Oh, that sounds white wormy. That is the white worm. Five star yeah. reading. <laughs> nice. Here's another one. Five stars. The mongoose is now my favorite animal. Well, yes. <laughs> that is from uh, Sherlock Holmes' Adventure of the Crooked Man. What? <laughs> uh... Here we go. Uh, One star. Confused. That was how I felt from the get-go. By the halfway mark, I had lost count of how many times I shook my head in puzzlement and exclaimed, What? Well, that is 100% white worm. That is from The Turn of the Screw. Ah, It's almost like this guy's trying to trick us. (laughs) One star. Some of the words used are considered unacceptable nowadays, although they may not have been considered derogatory while he was writing the book. I do not personally recommend it. Uh, I think that's the Book of Mormon. <laughs> that is from Lair of the White Worm. Okay. I think they were pretty considered derogatory when he wrote the book. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, one star, a friend of mine once commented that this book was the most racist book he'd ever read. I agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, White Worm. 
To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> ah! <laughs> uh, and uh, let's, let's, there's a couple more, but let's finish with this one. One star. It's boring, horrid, and slow-paced, and can honestly drive any sane person into a state of catatonic apathy that will never fade away. Uh, Jaws. Dracula. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, that is, uh, you know, you, you never know. There's, there's people that are gonna, that are gonna love everything. People are gonna hate everything. And so, uh, thank you to Kevin for assembling those, uh, very tricky Goodreads reviews for us. We appreciate it. And history lover, of course, says, uh, you know, it does the job. <laughs> yes. Let's see. It's a book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, standard book. <laughs> <laughs> Good enough. Oh, chapter 27. On the turret roof. On the turret roof. Mm. Oh my gosh. So there's, so the, we just had a scene where uh, Mimi went into Edgar Caswell's turret. Well, we're going to get another scene of <laughs> Mimi going into Edgar Caswell's turret. Yes. Why didn't you just do the scene the last time, huh? <laughs> uh, but, well, because this time there's a, uh, a storm approaching. So he has used that, uh, that old device to, uh, to add the drama to his scene. There is a, a huge thunderstorm approaching, um, which is, uh, we've all seen storm scenes in movies, read them in books, but the, uh, he has opted to describe it in this coherent way. The storm which was coming was already making itself manifest, not only in the wide scope of nature, but in the hearts and natures of human beings. Electrical disturbance in the sky and the air is reproduced in animals of all kinds, and particularly in the highest type of them all, the most receptive, the most electrical. There's a thunderstorm coming. Yes. (laughs) It's loud. There's lightning. Jeez, man, you don't need to... Hearts and natures, animals, like, brother. It just, he goes out of his way to make the the common things we're all familiar with incoherent and to make insane things like wormholes full of sand uh, as as confusing as possible. Well, I mean, he's just he's just trying to quicken the action, and he boy, does he ever. So just to set the scene, uh, he's in there. He's unable to hear or whatever. Edgar Caswell, he's tending to his kite, sending it sweet little messages, and uh, maybe tea cakes with butter. And uh, <laughs> she pulls up a chair a little bit away from him and just sits down. That's that's how the action starts. And, and Mimi hides behind a door. So <laughs> yes. that's, that's where, where the action is right now. So, boy, oof. Quickening. The pace is quickening. Well, it was a good thing that she pulled up that chair and was sitting down because, and I hope that the listeners are sitting down because Bram drops some 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 serious uh, final act twists on us here. The fact was that Edgar Coswell was, if not mad, close to the borderline. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> uh, it says that uh, monomania, the errant f- faculty, protrudes itself in a way that may not be denied. It, it puts aside, obscures, or takes the place of something else, just as the head of a pin placed before the center of the iris will block out the whole scope of vision. So he's, he's dropping some well-known metaphors on us um, to, to describe how crazy he is. And uh, Mimi is uh, is picking up on on some of these on some of these clues that Bram, Bram is providing to us, the reader. She had a suspicion, or rather, perhaps an intuition, of the true state of things when she heard him speak, and at the same time noticed the abnormal flush on his face and his rolling eyes. So it wasn't on the first, second, or third time that he came over to hypnotize her sister, or on the uh, the time he hypnotized her to death, or just even seeing him talking to his evil bird kite. It was when she noticed that his cheeks were flushed. That she started to suspect that maybe, uh, 
Maybe he wasn't all quite there. Uh, the more I see of this guy, the more I think he's got a screw loose or something. I mean, what is going on? Uh, and this is too bad. To This news comes at a time when, as we find out, Mimi was in brighter and better spirits than she had been for many days past. <laughs> wow. What a, that's just thrown into the middle of this weird thing of her, you know, stealing up to the Another sneaking scene, of course, and sneaking up and, and finding the door open and seeing this madman talking to his kite and rolling his eyes and slobbering. She's in good spirits, though. <laughs> what? Yeah. I, I should get out onto top of a turret roofs more often. I mean, uh, you know, the fresh air is doing wonders for me. <laughs> really perk me up. Uh, and so they, he starts, he finally notices her. Yeah. Which is, uh, that's always good for action when someone finally notices someone. <laughs> he says, uh, uh, I want you, if you will be so good, to come with me to the turret roof. I am much interested in certain experiments with the kite, which would be, if not a pleasure, at least a novel experience to you. You would see something not easily seen otherwise. <laughs> I just thought to myself, man, if I was a younger man armed with a sweet line like that, <laughs> yeah, right. the ladies would be coming with me to turret roofs all over the town. <laughs> Yeah, they notice that flush in your cheeks, and they're just unable to resist. My eyes rolling around in my head. <laughs> it is it is nice that uh, you know he 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 asks her since he's able to you know evidently enthrall you with his gaze so easily that he doesn't just hypnotize her to bring her up there. Yeah, it was that was sort of kind. I mean, you know, look, he's still busted up about her sister, so the <laughs> fact that he. It's so courteous. It's very nice. And he can't hear. So, I mean, I, I assume that, that this what he's speaking is, you know, he thinks he's saying it normally, but, you know, he can't hear. So it's a lot louder than it needs to be. Uh, he's overcompensating. He might not be pronouncing words correctly because he's, he's been upbraided to the point of being deaf. So, Right. But then uh, she agrees to go with him. Ugh. And the reason why? Oh, my God. She did not like to be left alone at such a height, in such a place, in the darkness with a storm about to break. <laughs> yes, you, yeah. you went there. You, what are you talking about? At such a height. To like the, 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 the height of being indoors? That's not a thing. <laughs> so she agrees to go to a roof with an with a insane man who killed her sister during a giant thunderstorm because she's afraid to be left alone. <laughs> that is what we are told to believe right here. And we also get some great telling not showing in terms of why she does this. It says, of himself, she had no fear. All that had been seemed to have passed away with her two victories over him in the struggle of wills. Moreover, the more recent apprehension, that of his madness, had also ceased. In the conversation of the last few minutes, he seemed so rational, so clear, so unaggressive that she no longer saw reason for doubt. We're given no evidence of that other than Bram just telling us that, no, no, he seems rational and clear now. He's not uh, rosy-cheeked or eyes rolling anymore. Um, and that very quickly uh, dissipates, however. Um uh and then another bizarre turnabout, Mimi recognized the danger and assumed the <laughs> defiant attitude that had twice already served her so well. She had a fear that the circumstances and place were against her, and she wanted to be forearmed. Uh, so two, two questions. How are those great spirits in good mood? Uh, <laughs> and number two, was this not completely avoidable? You went into the tower. You followed him when he asked you to, and now she recognizes the danger? Yeah, she's in a place alone with the guy who, who killed her sister, and she has a fear that the circumstances might be against her. She, she recognizes the danger. It's utterly absurd. 
this is just, this is where it gets so frustrating. Why do I have to keep reading this? (laughs) Yeah, because it starts whiplashing again, back and forth. Uh, Now that he's on the roof, it says, Edgar seemed altogether under the storm's influence. His spirits were, so keep in mind, mere mere paragraphs ago, uh, he he was, his madness has ceased. Uh, But now he's under the storm's influence. His spirits were boisterous. His mind exalted. He was now at his worst, madder than he had been earlier in the night. We are told. <laughs> we are not shown that. Yeah. And uh, so then we get uh, probably my favorite. Uh, we, we finally get a little bit of this guy speaking mm-hmm. because it really hasn't. We haven't learned anything about this guy at all. Yeah. He's just been he, writing notes to kites. Yes. And, he, and staring he, at people. He, he goes over and stares at people, then goes up and sleeps and then talks to his kite and sends little statues up to his kite. But you've never really heard him at all you get no sense of his character you know that he has uh what is it his his nature is saturnine or whatever because of his race so we we have that (laughs) we have that bit of racism we have to to back up on but finally he gives his uh i'm the god speech just a long long speech about how he you know about how uh, the devil took uh, Christ up to a high place and everything. And he's like, <laughs> I'm the God, me, me. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Uh, and during this, the antediluvian snake is cowering in a niche watching, <laughs> terrified. <laughs> well, well what, what is happening? Uh, Why? <laughs> this is, by the way, the man that she hopes to marry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, she, uh, she might be reconsidering at this point of time. But I just don't understand what. Why is she cowering? Why isn't she? Yeah, and why do why do we have this double hiding going on? I, I yeah, and how big is it. the roof? How are there this many uh, hiding spots on the roof? Like it just again the the physicality of this whole thing is is very frustrating, and I think they're both hiding at this point in time. Um, even though like he came up there with Mimi, but now she's hiding again. She is uh, Lady A has fallen them up there and is now hiding elsewhere. And then Lady A, cowering, says she must lure him to the white worm's hole. But how? What What does that mean? Why does she have to lure him to the white worm's hole? I don't know, but she does not do it, so it does not matter. <laughs> um, uh, and she's jealous? That's the other thing. Lady Arabella gets she is jealous. She's now jealous. Yeah, she thinks that Mimi is here to horn on her turf. Um, so the solution is to lure her future husband to the white worm's hole, which she is the white worm and possibly not the white worm. And, but she's going to now have the white worm kill her husband. Yeah. I mean, that's a staple of romantic comedies when you're when two <laughs> women are trying to land the same man, right? <laughs> you lure, lure someone to a antediluvian monster's hole. Uh, anti what? I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> Damn it. Wow. Another Ogden. This is it, awesome. Hmm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, so this this whole this action scene was infuriating. You had to, uh, I assume, you had to read it a couple times to understand what was happening. Utterly baffling. It's, uh, I mean, I just, I sort of singled out the whole thing because I think we sort of have to share it with people to to really convey what what he's trying to do here, right? Uh, yeah, he does. Uh, he does sort of like the final big runner. So there, the storm is raging. You know, it's like uh, uh, you know King Lear. They've got uh, you know, everyone's like. I think you. You know, we're led to believe that like they're seeing things in like flashes of lightning, and that's illuminating the the danger. It's pouring rain. There's thunder, and so he is uh, gonna do uh, his final kite runner type of thing. 
Edgar took up a small wooden box through a hole in which the wire of the runner ran. This evidently set some machinery in motion for a sound uh, as of whirring came. From Not one whirring, a sound <laughs> as, as of, of whirring. <laughs> from one side of the box, so just try to get a mental picture. From one side of the box floated what looked like a piece of stiff ribbon, which snapped and crackled as the wind took it. For a few seconds, Mimi saw it as it rushed along the sagging line to the kite. When close to it, there was a loud crack, not as as of a loud crack, and a sudden light appeared to issue from every chink in the box. Then a quick flame flashed along the snapping ribbon, which glowed with an intense light, a light so great that the whole of the countryside around stood out against the background of black driving clouds. For a few seconds, the light remained and then suddenly disappeared in the blackness around. It was simply a magnesium light, which had been fired by the mechanism within the box and carried up to the kite. So, then it says, Edgar was in a state of tumultuous excitement, shouting and yelling at the top of his voice and dancing about like a lunatic. So, he's essentially any given guy who's had a couple beers setting off fireworks on the 4th of July. Yes, he's... You know, that uh, flash paper that magicians use, you know, when a dove appears. Uh-huh. He just, he he lit off one of those at the top of his kite. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and and why we don't get nope. the dancing around, shouting and yelling, why that is just told rather than shown, <laughs> yes. a great disappointment to me. Right. And this is just after he said, uh, you know, I, I am I am God. I am, uh, you know, he... When the master of Christ, evil took Christ up to the high place, he, you know, he was doing what he thought no other one could do. He was wrong. He forgot me. And, you know, after making that grand pronouncement, yeah, he sets off a, uh, you know, one of those Fourth of July snakes, essentially. (laughs) And so Lady Arabella, she couldn't stand the the curiosity. (laughs) So she's going to lure him to the, that's when she says she's going to lure him to the hole. Yeah. But, uh, no, but she, I, yeah, so she, yeah, she, it says she, watching this, she abandoned all ideas of marriage with Edgar Coswell. So, you know, 30 seconds earlier, as he was proclaiming himself the Almighty, she was still like, that's the man I'm going to marry. But yes. uh, this has been, uh, this has, yeah, been revoked, and she must lure him to the white worm's hole. But how? How? Uh, and, uh, oh, she comes up with a doozy of a plan. My God, right. if you thought that that, uh, that setting off a firework scene was complicated and unnecessary. What follows is just, uh, it just you know the, the motivations are unclear, physicality is unclear, uh, but but this is what happens. <laughs> uh, so this is her plan, just right at that moment. On the instant, she glided through the darkness to the wheel, a wheel of which I still have no physical picture in my mind, uh-huh. whereon the string of the kite was wound. So I guess it's a fixed wheel with a crank on it, maybe, that he's doing. I don't know. Yeah, it's what he took out of that Mesmer's box, isn't it? Like, that's where it came from. It doesn't matter that that's where it came from. But With deft fingers, she unshipped this, took it with her, reeling out the wire as she went, thus keeping, in a way, in touch with the kite. Mm-hmm. Got it? Then she glided <laughs> swiftly. So she's carrying what I imagine is a large wheel. Yes, of, of kite. I mean, this has to be a thick, stout cord, right? Uh yeah. I mean, it's it's you know uh, thousands of feet of of kite cord because the bird is so high up in the cra- in the sky that it's seen all over the realm. Then she glided swiftly to the wicket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I don't. There's surprising I, amounts of wicket in this final two yeah. chapters. 
through which she passed, comma, locking the gate behind her as she went. She's on top of a turret, right? Mm-hmm. I'm picturing a classic, you know, turret with like, what do yeah, you call the uh, little... like in a far side uh, the, cartoon. Like, yeah, uh, the ba- little, little battlements, the little arrow shooting, uh, yep. you know. Yeah. The uh, holes to so, pour boiling oil out of and all that. Yeah. So she glides... Like a rook in chess. Yes. She glides to the wicket through which she passed, <laughs> locking the gate behind her as she went. Yeah. So there's a, a gate on the turret door, on the top of the turret? You got, you got your turret wickets. Down the turret stairs, she ran quickly. She stopped gliding, letting the <laughs> wire run from the wheel, which she carried carefully, and passing out of the hall door, hurried down the avenue with all her speed. So she's running and letting out kite string. Yes. She's doing a Charlie Brown here. <laughs> Maybe, is this the uh, wire as thin as a hair? Did he fail to convey that he was using that as the actual wire? Of, I mean, yes, he failed to convey that, but I, we must be led to assume that, I think. the. You know. I, I thought he was just sending, the, he's using that to somehow send runners, but never mind, whatever. She reached her own gate, so not a wicket, ran down <laughs> the avenue with her key, and with her key opened the iron door leading to the well hole. <laughs> so there the plan is complete the trap is laid yeah and she says she felt well satisfied with herself all her plans were maturing or had already matured the master of castro regis was within her grasp Th- they are he is <laughs> like what <laughs> we, we, uh, we, we finally though we get a chapter ending that satisfied me greatly oh yeah i assume you as well oh yeah uh, the woman whose interference she had feared, Lilla Watford, was dead. Truly, all was well. Yeah, it is going <laughs> great. I am having my best day. And she felt that she might pause a while and rest. So I guess she's she's holding on to the wire. She's still in touch with the kite. So what does she do next? She tore off her clothes <laughs> with feverish fingers and in full enjoyment of her natural freedom, stretched her slim figure in animal delight. Then she lay down on the sofa to await her victim. Edgar Caswell's lifeblood would more than satisfy her for some time to come. So she's she's the worm. Yeah, and she's going to eat him. It's, it is a uh, it is beyond curious. You could not have predicted that in a thousand years. Uh, the one thing that you can predict, however, is that it does not pay off. <laughs> no, not Herbie. And people have there's been people out there who have been reading the uh, unabridged version, and they've they've shared some some passages and stuff. But but what they say is that it's not even just unabridged that things change. And they say that in the unabridged version, she does not take off her clothes; she just lies down on her sofa. <laughs> well, so the, we so have the, a we have a naughty editor. Yes, somewhere, exactly. So he got a little excited with this whole thing. But uh, yeah, so we we have long since questioned how far away these houses are. Um, and now we're just, she, she just runs from one to the other trailing out kites during the whole way. So I, it must just be like when, when we go to Nashville and get to two places that are next to each other, like, cause, uh, otherwise there's no, uh, she, I don't know. It doesn't seem like she's, you know, up for running long distances. Like it has to just be, you know, in one door and out the other in one wicket and, and, and into the, onto her sofa. Yeah, run a little, a brief run down an avenue through a gate <laughs> into an iron door, which I guess she's leaving all the doors open. So, you know, moms everywhere are going, close that door. <laughs> I got to have the kite string. You know? Right. And this is a house that she has sold to Adam that she is still living in. 
Right. right. She, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> she, she is. So she is just hanging out there in uh, in someone else's house. Um, you know, threading the kite string around the uh, rough corrugated iron shens and pile of sand. It occurred to me that there was no reason for her to have sold this. That she could have, because you know, we talked about the. Uh, I want you to measure my well hole <laughs> before you before I move out. Well, why wasn't that just the thing? Like. He, she just says, hey, could you help me out and measure my well hole? Right. You know what I mean? Because she's still in possession of the land. So like that entire chapter of selling it <laughs> yeah. was completely unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, it was. It really was. It's, yeah, because she never leaves. And uh, even though she's she's there, she fails to care that they are building in all these suspicious things and putting them into the snake hole. Right. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> oh, uh. So that's where we are. The The plan is is complete. She's naked on her couch. With holding a kite string, yeah, and I believe that's the last we see of her. Um, just to just to get ahead of that, so she she well, goes out in style, sort of. Okay, well, um, but then it goes to chapter twenty eight, the breaking of the storm, and this is the uh, the final chapter of the book. Um, and it, uh, it you know it's a slightly longer one because they have a lot to fit in here, but oh, it goes God, <laughs> it's long. <laughs> it goes back up to the turret roof uh, where uh, Mimi and Edgar are, and we learned that uh, Mimi has had a gun with her the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, <laughs> burying the lead. Uh, this is uh, almost as good as uh, in uh, the Wizard of Oz. Where oh right, <laughs> you realize that the during the uh, haunted forest scene that the uh, scarecrow is carrying a large weapon. <laughs> Pack and heat. Yeah. He is pack and heat. And it's, it's just hilarious that it's from a deleted scene right. uh, where he gets this. But he's just he's just packing during that whole scene and nothing ever comes of it at all. Yeah, it's like one uh, of those, uh, you know, those there's like sort of optical illusions where it repeats the word the, but it's on different lines. And so you normally don't read that unless you're right. looking for it. It's like, <laughs> of course, you know, you're not looking for the scarecrow holding a gun. So no one has seen it until someone calls their attention to it. Right. <laughs> Um, but so the, uh, she, she notes that the wicket door is locked, um, and she asks, uh, Edgar to open it for her so she can leave. And, uh, we get this, uh, we get this, um, metaphor, I guess, that, uh, just sort of mm-hmm. makes you, makes you wonder whether, whether Bram was okay. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Yes. <laughs> he, uh, in a voice which was raucous and brutal, much like that which is heard when a wife is being beaten by her husband in a slum. <laughs> He hissed out, ah. his syllables cutting through the roaring of the storm. Uh, yeah, is everything okay, man? Like, is uh, ah, is, hey, is there boy. nothing else you can? Uh, is there nothing else you can compare a, a man hissing to um, in a book about huge snakes? Like, is there, is there nothing else that slightly might be more relevant to the current situation? I <laughs> uh, wonder. Were all people reading this at the time nodding and? Uh, oh yeah, oh, yeah exactly. got it. <laughs> Say no more, my good man. <laughs> right, and you know, even and even so, it's you know, it's it's uh, it's off-putting, possibly offensive, uh, out of place. It's also ambiguous. Is he hissing out like the like the wife, or by the husband who's doing the beating in the slum? I, it's just creates a crappy metaphor on top of everything. Yeah, he just. Uh, I, I've brought it up before. It's like that. Uh, the comedian that they used to have to throw off of open stages, he'd put on disguises to come up <laughs> and do his offensive, deeply misogynistic humor. <laughs> then he'd be tossed out again, and then he'd put on a fake mustache to come. And Bram just writes books so he can get this kind of stuff out. Yes. Like, <laughs> My God. So, yeah, that was uh, that was something that a lot of people called attention to. So it's a, uh, 
it's uh, if, if if you're if you're uh, fiction 101 students, any teachers out there, start start inserting metaphors like this. You know, go and check on him because. Uh, but then again, the we don't know how he's able to hear her because he was upbraided to the point of deafness. But he, uh, what he hisses is, you came of your own accord without permission or even asking it. Now you can stay as you choose, but you must manage it for yourself. I'll have nothing to do with it. So he's like, you made your bed. You came up to the turret roof. This is what you get. Um, but Mimi, uh, all of a sudden, like, be, you know, she's been this sort of like helpless uh, victim this entire time. But then she turns into... Like the action hero that she was portrayed in in that uh, that dark web excerpt we got, she turns into John McClane or uh, you know Jack Ryan or one of those people. And uh, as she, as he spoke, he was lighting another piece of the magnesium ribbon. I guess <laughs> I guess he you know got such a good response from it the first time, <laughs> which made a blinding glare in which everything was plainly discernible down to the smallest detail. This exactly suited Mimi. She took accurate note of the wicket. And it's fastening before the glare had died away. She took her revolver out and fired into the lock, which was shivered on the instance, the pieces flying around in all directions, but happily without causing hurt to anyone. <laughs> we get that detail. So, yeah, she's uh, she's doing like, uh, you know, a- Andy Dufresne, where he waits for the thunder strikes to break the lock. But she just like sees this uh, this lock on a wicket, takes note during the magnesium flare. And then uh, once it dies down, she, she she shoots out the lock like she's in a, you know, a Resident Evil game or something. This is incredible. But before we pass this moment, can we just revisit what in the hell is going on with the magnesium ribbon? <laughs> Do you have any theories at all? Did you come up with anything? I, I'm baffled by this. I, he thinks he's a god. So was, is there some literature out there that we're missing, some big thing? Is there a, a, a book that didn't make it into the Bible where, you know— Christ is lighting magnesium ribbons or something, <laughs> and and he's trying to the gospel of kicking ass, <laughs> or, or or is there a Shakespearean? I, I don't know what's happening. What is uh, he doing? Maybe they were just a brand new thing, and so like even seeing them, uh, you know, mentioned in a book would excite an audience. <laughs> I, I guess that's as good as any. I, we don't need to spend any more time on it. I just want to note that it is, it is beyond insane. And all the insane things in this book, that is just, it is madness. Yeah, I sort of thought like, oh, like this is going to uh, ignite the kite up. Um, you know, it's going it, to, he's he's going to like sacrifice the kite. It's going to be turned into this, you know, flaming uh, thing. But that doesn't seem to happen. It just is more of an, an effect, I guess, these runners. It, so, yeah, it really just seems like fireworks. Bizarre. But look, look let's pick up on the action where uh, Mimi rushes home and she gets there and says, uh, is Mr. Adam Sultan in? <laughs> well, your your husband? <laughs> I, I don't know. Why don't you go go find him? Yeah, I, 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 I've got I've got a, an inkling where he might be. So like, go check it. And yeah, he's in the study. <laughs> um, and she they sit down. They honest to God, they sit down and tell she tells the story. Uh huh. And so, uh, and his, and she tells him the story, and his reaction, of course, is to to go see him immediately. Take care of this. No, it's not. He says, "I must go and see Caswell tomorrow <laughs> to hear what he has to say on the subject." So she's she's shooting out locks under, uh, you know, under you know, explosions are happening in the background, and he's uh, cracking walnuts and 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 waiting uh, for a good night's sleep before he confronts anybody. And she doesn't say, um, you know, he's 
he's on the turret. The turret door is, you know, it's open. I, I shot it. Uh, <laughs> did, you, did you pick up on that part? So he's up there. Um, he's lighting magnesium ribbons right now. You could, uh, you could go up there, uh, yeah. grab him by the lapels, and you know, one shot of the gun. So it's still, you know, it's probably got at least five left. And uh, by if you, in case you didn't remember, he did just kill my sister. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so you know, and it's it. I mean. It's raining, but it's not too bad. I mean, yeah, you know, me and could, Lady A have been walking, you know, up and down the avenue this entire time, and it's evidently not that far away because we both have run back and forth uh, very, no, very I mean, easily. It, it, and it's dark, but it's you know, it's it's eight thirty. Uh, <laughs> we we can turn this. We can be done by ten at the latest. And uh, oh, yeah, I'm hearing you, but I just oh man, oh, the the sheep are, are counting fast and furious. So. <laughs> So yeah, so he goes to bed. <laughs> well, first he gets some quick. Um, uh, no, he doesn't go to bed because this is this all takes place, right? Oh, that's right. He says he'll see him in the morning. Yeah, but so he starts. Uh, this is amazing. So yeah, she's been she's been kicking ass just like a you know a Tarantino heroine. But he starts like essentially nineteenth uh, century mansplaining to her. It's amazing. He says uh, then in order to keep her interested, so she might forget her fears and anxieties that had disturbed her, he began to talk over the details of her adventure making shrewd comments, which attracted and held her attention. <laughs> <laughs> so he's doing the, uh, just like Edgar Caswell had his, uh, you want to see a kite to do something? Come up to the turret with me. He's uh, enchanting her with more kite stories and things like that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we, we are given no evidence of these shrewd comments uh, because, of course, this uh, doofus has no, uh, no ability of making any, but uh, we are told that he made them. Um. She asks one question, though, and it's a great <laughs> response. Would it be dangerous to be out in the open air when such a thing is taking place, she asked? No, little woman. <laughs> it would be the safest possible place. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, wh- what? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I mean, I don't he's, know. he's talking about how he is up there on the turret, uh, you know, courting death by bringing lightning into where he goes uh, in the storm. Um, and he, he sort of sets the stage for what is coming by saying if there's any metal by which it can travel, uh, that will become the road for lightning itself. But yeah, he claims that that being out in a storm is the safest possible place. Like, then why was he sitting in the, uh, in the, in the study? Hey, it's like when someone invites you uh, to, a tea, to, to lunch and is planning to kill you by, by accepting the invitation, you have the upper hand. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. As long as you've got, uh, you know, the crappy, uh, crappy silverware, then uh, you might as well take advantage. But yeah, to uh, they, they decide to leave the house, right? And yes. The, yes. And, 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 I, and, I don't know what the I'll talk to him tomorrow was about, but that, that does come up. But then, uh, but then they go out anyway. So they yeah. go outside. And, uh, you know, also just, you know, nothing hinged on her being naked. Nothing hinges on her, on them leaving the house. Um, it's, uh, they could have stayed just there and the way this plays out would have been nothing at all, uh, different. Um, but they walk down to, uh, Castro Regis. Um, and this is where they note that's Lady Arabella's. I'm sorry. That's where they, that's Edgar's house. Uh, while drawing near, Adam stumbled upon the wire that Lady Arabella had left trailing on the ground. Adam drew his breath at this and spoke in a low, earnest whisper. I don't want to frighten you, Mimi, but wherever that there, but wherever that wire is, there is danger. Danger? How? That is the track where the lightning will go. 
So he's like, or he's, this is he's he's just decided that this is going to happen. That this wire along the ground is going to be a you know essentially a huge fuse. Did did he know that this was the? I mean, the not all wire. wires are attached to kites <laughs> that are up in lightning storms. Yes, exactly. <laughs> did um, she tell? Did Mimi tell I, her that Lady Arabella grabbed the? No, I don't think ran? so. I think it's just his men's intuition. This is what he's picked up on while he's been filling wormholes with sand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I like this part too. Uh, Adam asked Mimi to return to the road, ostensibly to watch the course of the wire, telling her that there might be a branch wire leading somewhere. Uh, she was to search the undergrowth, and if she found it, was to warn him by the Australian native Kui. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess, a uh, that's that's just how Australians uh, warn each other of branch wires off of main wires that are discovered in the undergrowth. Uh, it's it, there's a famous uh, Andy Griffith episode where they're trying to signal to each other, and the they decide that the signal is hooty hoo, hooty hoo, <laughs> and I think one of the characters can't do it at the moment of so, but that's what that reminded well, me. Well, I have sympathy Coo-ee. for that character because it's a made up. Hard to pronounce word that is uh, tricky to get out under under pressure. Uh, almost antediluvian <laughs> in nature. Um, but yeah, then there there starts being more uh, more thunder and lightning. Adam starts uh, uh, estimating the intervals between the thunder and lightning as a as a true man would in this situation. And uh, <laughs> eventually, it strikes uh, Castro Regis. Yes, yes. But uh, before that, we get this uh, tantalizing uh, sentence: "Something was going on close to them, mysterious, terrible, deadly." <laughs> I thought, "Why, well, if only there were some way to convey that to the readers." But <laughs> no, he just mentions it, yeah, and then that's it. <laughs> Something bad was happening. Trust me, <laughs> right? But he he sort of starts using that. I mean, it's it starts. We've we've challenged him for not being able to describe things, and he sort of embraces that in this in this final uh, few pages, which are uh, my theory was they were guest written by Wallace Shawn because we get this description quite a bit. Uh, the lightning strikes the Edgar Coswell's castle. The tower collapses. A blue flame fell downward from the tower, and with inconceivable rapidity. Running along the ground in the direction of Diana's Grove reached the dark silent house, which in the instant burst into flame at a hundred different points. So we get three different things uh, deemed inconceivable in this final section. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, the, the destruction, this uh, later the, the explosioning of the worm is all deemed inconceivable. So, um, you know, we're, we're witnessing them firsthand. So, um, you know, we can we can sort of describe them. Uh, you, you'd think you would be able to, but uh, Brahm sort of punts on this. Yeah, we're we are conceiving it right now because it appears to be happening. <laughs> happening, yes. Um, but this is also another. I don't understand the physicality. The Castor Regis explodes from the lightning strike, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it just lights the Diana's Grove on fire. The I mean, so I, what I understand is that the uh, lightning follows the fuse all the way down the avenue to Lady Arabella, who I guess was lying naked, and I think it must ignite the dynamite stores on the property okay uh the flames from castro regis and from diana's grove made all around almost as light as day and now that the lightning had ceased to flash their eyes unblinded were able to judge both perspective and detail 
The heat of the burning house caused the iron doors to warp and collapse. <laughs> like, just like that? <laughs> that is a lot of heat. That yeah. happened very quickly. That's going to attract some some skepticism from the conspiracy theory community, I'm guessing, that it was <laughs> this Diana's well, Grove was an inside job. Certainly was. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it all just, it reminded me of the end of a, uh, they used to do it, I think, in 30s movies where things would just wrap up with, very very quickly they didn't they didn't do third acts a lot it was just no. like here's here's the resolution kaboom and it's it's done and that's it yeah it's just, it just comes very quickly you barely get time to picture it and it's kind of over yeah i mean there yeah there was no subtlety it was just they're like oh no this uh this could act as a huge fuse of lightning strikes and then it does uh both houses uh blow up um i mean it's true true wily coyote fashion um and then they just sort of, we, we, we don't get a ton of descriptions in this last part, as we've pointed out, but we get some extremely detailed descriptions of like the uh, aftermath of the, uh, the wormhole explosion. Yeah, he, this is the one part that he dwells on. <laughs> this seems to be another fascination of Bram Stoker's is how would it look if a, I guess, giant snake uh, was exploded in a bunch of fine sand. And dynamite. Uh, and dynamite and there was water possibly with it what would that look like well this is what it looks like my god blood and slime yeah chunks of stuff what's the one that uh uh i can't Uh, remember if i wrote it down oh the whole yeah the whole place Um, looked as if a sea of blood had been beating against it each of the explosions from below had thrown out from the well hole as if it had been the mouth of a cannon a mass of fine sand mixed with blood and a horrible repulsive slime in which were great red masses of rent and torn flesh and fat. And many of the awful fragments were of something which had lately been alive. <laughs> many of them? Right. <laughs> I, I think you can guess from context that probably all the of them were. Thing. Yeah. Was the rem- there some other long dead chunks of snake? Yeah. The, rem- or- the worm had like a vestigial twin or something that had died but was still attached to him and he'd been <laughs> right. hauling around. <laughs> As the explosions kept on, more and more of this repulsive mass was shot up, the great bulk of it falling back again. So it's essentially like Old Faithful at Yellowstone, but of worm meat and fat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Specifying the fat to me was just like, do, do worms have a bunch of fat on them? Like, I, I don't know. I <laughs> guess I've never dissected. They seem pretty lean, though. When yeah. Yeah. We've seen pieces of, you know, uh, rattlesnake meat. They look like pretty, pretty lean. Yeah. I guess I have packed on the pounds, but then again, I am uh, 3,000 years old, so I'd like to see what you look like at this age. <laughs> yes, I've been expanding up as well as down. <laughs> I get what you're saying by that. Uh, some of these fragments were partially covered with white skin as of a human being, and others, the largest and most numerous, with scaled skin as of a giant, gigantic serpent or lizard. All right. So this, again, made me think. Is Lady Arabella the snake? Because he's now saying that human skin is on it. <laughs> right. Uh, there's, yeah, I guess there's, it's, a, it's a mixture of the two. I, I think we're led to believe that she was like its un, unwilling servant um, is sort of like the, the, but they don't really address it at the end of the book either. They don't say like, well, I guess we can understand that they just, uh, they both get blown up um, in, the, uh, in the fat geyser and, uh, and we're just left to, left to move on. Very disappointing that we don't get a description of the actual skin color of the worm. Right, yes. <laughs> uh, he doesn't say, like, you know, with this, the sand had rubbed off the clay, 
And now we finally get a glimpse of its rainbow you know, skin color. Yes, it's, uh, yeah. it was purple at one band. <laughs> the next was a brilliant shining green. You know, no, a surprising no, amount a- of Dropkick Murphys tattoos adorned its lower back. <laughs> and <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, so the uh, the uh, the explosive power, which was not yet exhausted, evidently reached the main store of dynamite, which had been lowered into the wormhole. The result was appalling. So I guess the you know great red masses of rent and torn flesh and fat were not appalling. They were they were they were pretty chill about those. But they uh, it's a final huge explosion and flames were bursting violently from all over the ruins so dangerously that Adam caught up his wife in his arms and ran with her from the proximity of the flames. So quick thinking, uh, run away from the appalling explosions. <laughs> so for three or four minutes, they watched the rending fat and uh scales and chunks of crap rain down and then you know what let's get going yeah exactly. we've seen enough of this she's like are you sticking by your this is the safest place to be claim from earlier and he's like yes right I, you know i'm not walking it back <laughs> uh and then it just as soon as it began it's over um uh, and then so they take a walk uh-huh well, yeah, that's, you know, that's sort of his M.O. at this point in time. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, is it the the walk is they, they go home. Is this the next day when they see the uh, examine the ruins? Uh, yes, the next day they go. But the, they walk through the night because they see the, the sunshine come okay. up. The red rays of sunrise shot up over the far eastern sea, bringing a promise of a new order of things with the coming day. <laughs> And uh, now we get a very long coda to this book. Oh, yeah. I so, would have been very happy had it just ended. Yeah, it, and it could have because it, the, the coda essentially ends with just as much resolution as this. But we get a uh, we got a very stokery sentence, I thought. The, it says, The only evidence of the once stately pile of Castro Regis and its inhabitants was a shapeless huddle of shattered architecture. And then it, it's, uh, Of the house as such, there was, even at the short distance from what they looked, no trace. <laughs> so, so the, the house was gone and he feels a need to uh to put four clauses into his sentence to indicate that to the reader yes um but he so he does what uh he normally does he puts her to sleep puts mimi to sleep then he creeps softly away he found his uncle ah Aha, he's back <laughs> and sir nathaniel in the study and and figure out this sentence if you can i cannot i cannot having an early cup of tea Amplified to the dimensions of a possible breakfast. What? (laughs) Uh, I mean, are we talking like quantum physics breakfasts, like theoretical (laughs) Schrodinger's breakfast? I have I I looked at that so many times. Um, Is he saying that they were? Is he sort of slyly saying that they're just calling it an early cup of tea? But come on, guys, you're eating. You're eating breakfast. <laughs> I amplified to the dimensions of a possible breakfast. So the the writer is unclear whether or not they're having breakfast. <laughs> and so are we, the yeah, readers. Very unclear. And are those guys just sort of sitting there being like, what the hell was all that? Yeah, the earth shook for quite a while. Uh, <laughs> chunks of some sort of fat covered in chalk were raining down in our yard. Um, but uh, breakfast has to, breakfast is breakfast. Right. Our possible breakfast has to happen, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If it does, it will certainly be up to the possible amplified dimensions. Um, so he he tells them, uh, you know, that he put his wife to bed and tells them, you know, wow, you, you will not believe what just happened. And they say, we know, my boy. 
that the unfortunate Lady Arabelle is dead and that the foul carcass of the worm has been torn to pieces. You do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh... You didn't even get up from your possibly amplified breakfast to check, though? <laughs> I think they were just, uh, you know, they they could be like the all-seeing, like you know, the, the or they just recognize the the sounds. You know, they've been they're old. They've been around the block. They they know the sound of a worm exploding. How do they know Lady Arabella's dead? By the way, that's a good question too. Um, uh, yeah. uh, I don't know, but that they uh, they they seem to indicate that she is dead. She's unfortunate, and that the worm has also been torn to pieces. So they are now. Uh, Sir Nathaniel is walking back. his calling her the White Worm. And just saying that they are the two distinct entities, and uh, we pray to God that its evil soul will never more escape from its nethermost hell. Right. <laughs> um, so then they they walk over to check things out. Yeah. Which again, we Back to we it. were just there. We the reader don't need to see the it again, but we get a long description of the aftermath of that. Um, just the uh, and and this once again we get blood and slime, torn, <laughs> evil smelling flesh, and the sickening remnants of violent death. We're gone. They're gone. Yeah. But it, but for, so, yeah, there was a ton of them. You know, we, we, we were led to believe that it was just like all over the place. But he provides a convincing theory for how they might have been um, might have been whisked away. Either some of the later explosions had thrown up from the deep quantities of water, which, though foul and corrupt itself, had still some cleansing power left. Or else the writhing mass which stirred from far below had helped to drag down and obliterate the items of horror. So there you go. Snap your fingers, the mass of blood and slime is gone, either by cleansing water or the writhing mass itself, which I thought was the worm, which had been exploded. There's a page left. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, so all, I thought it was notable, like everything is gone. Like in some, like, oh, is that mysterious? Are there other worms that kind of came and, I don't know, did a burial or something of it? Yeah. Took the chunks away? I guess not. At short, irregular intervals, the hell broth in the hole seemed as if boiling up. It <laughs> rose and fell again, showing in fresh form much of the nauseous detail which had been visible earlier. Yeah. So it's back. The uh, worst parts were the great masses of the flesh of the monstrous worm in all its red and sickening aspect. Yeah, and those those aspects, the whole surface of the fragments, once alive, was covered in insects, worms, and vermin of all kind. So you've got something, some chunks left that these vermin are feasting on. So why were the chunks gone for a minute and then they come back? <laughs> what what was like, that about? It's just like bubbling up like a geyser, I guess. It's going to be a, uh, it's, it's, it's going to hurt the resale value is my guess. Oh, that's right, man. You know, it's hard to pass that off as like cozy in realtor speak. That is uh, pretty uh, crafty of her to unload that. Yeah, um, I guess. You yeah. know, her relatives will have no debt to pay. Or <laughs> uh, but um, that's that's us speaking. We're not too uh, familiar with the with the property. Sir Nathaniel is focusing on the important stuff. He says uh, the explosions of last night have blown out, blown off the outside of the cliffs, and that's what we see is the vast bed of china clay through which the worm originally found its way to its lair. So he is uh, focusing on the positive, all the china clay, I think, has been exposed, and we're led to believe that's going to make it a lot easier to mine this valuable substance. Yeah, I think that's what it, when I first said they saw something, a mass of white, 
uh, I thought, oh, is that like Lady Arabella's corpse or something? <laughs> but no, this guy's going to get even richer. Yeah. He thought a thousand horses was a lot of horses. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. We are left with a happy ending of the uh, the fabulously wealthy getting even richer as uh, as two people die. <laughs> Yeah, the, I, actually, they see him, um, you know, lighting uh, uh, cigars with the thousand dollars, thousand pound notes, and they're like, "That well, that guy's got clay money, man." <laughs> but we're led to believe, um, what when he says that they're bringing on the um, the sheds, doesn't he say that like uh, uh, like the, there's stewards who are doing this, and like no one seemed to suspect it was for any purpose. So there's like workers that are laying out this sand and, and doing all this stuff. So uh, you know, we're led to believe that. That other people, uh, not just the possibly evil Lady Arabella, must have died here. Oh, well, yeah, and not to mention uh, the tower, Castor Regis. Sure, that had a that had a staff. I mean, he had a, <laughs> there was a, a servant. The guy who died was just he was just hanging around from the past staff. Right, exactly. So there was you know even retired staff member quarters somewhere in that tower. Yeah, all they, of uh, them dead. Uh, the up to date uh, up to date serving men. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the guy who tended the uh, slop pail, yeah. he's dead. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, lots of innocent people died, but he's going to be able to buy uh, a thousand more horses. And uh, we're left with a, a big bang. Um, you know, we've, we've had some excitement, but uh, the, the book really closes with, uh, true to his nature, some, some, some fantastic, um, almost a cliffhanger, I would say. Yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> Wrap it up. The horrors of the last few hours had played with such havoc with Mimi's nerves that a change of scene was imperative, if a permanent breakdown was to be avoided. I think, said old Mr. Sultan, it is quite time you young people departed for that honeymoon of yours. There was a twinkle in his eyes as he spoke. Mimi's soft, shy glance at her stalwart husband was sufficient answer. The end. <laughs> <laughs> So they're sort of they're sort of just doing uh, the uh, the horny eyebrow raises at each other as they th- talk about finally getting off on that honeymoon. Um, Cut old- to them at a sandals resort. Yes. I guess. Yeah, yeah. The post credit scene is them uh, getting a getting a margarita. But that's uh, that's his uncle who gets that great uncle who gets that final line. Uh, he gets to uh, you know. It is only it on fitting home. that he should have the last word. Yes. Sure. <laughs> if we assume he then went off to nap or something like that. So. He was uh, he was patting his belly as he said that because of his possibly amplified breakfast. <laughs> wow. Well, that's it. That's uh, that's how the the master of horror, the the man who gave us Dracula, uh, wraps up his uh, his second and lesser novel. I think we can all agree. That was uh, that was infuriating at times. <laughs> that was definitely yeah the second my second least favorite book we've read. It was the hardest one and the, just the you know there's funny stuff in there, but it was hard to figure out what was going on. And that to me that made it very very difficult to read. Yep, I would. Uh, is that going to be your official ranking? I think that's my official ranking. I don't think there's anything that I would put above it. I think that's you know that second 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 to last. I 100% agree. It does not, uh, it just certainly doesn't sink lower than Pappy, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's second for me as well. <laughs> very, very tough read. Wow. So yeah, it's a, uh, you know, you, you might have an opportunity, I guess, as this, uh, the Halloween season, uh, fully, fully approaches to, uh, to, to talk someone's ear off at a cocktail party, uh, probably, you know, to their disinterest about how, uh, how, how Bram Stoker was a hack one hit wonder. 
Yeah, it's uh, that would that would be very tough to pull off to interest anyone in. Uh, yeah, I suppose if you got you got to. Uh, did you know that the writer of Dracula he has a he has another book? Oh no, you don't say. Should I yeah, read it? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you pretty much have to Great. end it there. Yeah, and and why do you know about this? Why did you read the book that you realized was terrible ten pages in? Well. There are these two idiots who... <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, cruising the reviews of History Lover, and uh, <laughs> I really did like uh, Up Close magazine, and uh, he said, if you like that, I'll like this. So I read it. And, uh... um, well, we do have some dumb sentences we can read, as always. A sentence begins with a capital letter. A capital letter is a letter that's big. A capital letter is not a small letter. A capital letter is big, big, big. All right, uh, so uh, this was sent by George and Patricia. So it was even with Lady Arabella, who, under the instincts of a primeval serpent, carried the ever-varying wishes and customs of womanhood, which is always old and always new. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, I think we've demonstrated through this book that, that, that more than anything, Bram Stoker has a uh, understanding of, of, of women and their uh, wants and needs and desires. And this is just more evidence of that, I would say. Yes, as much as he does uh, races that are different from his own. <laughs> yes. No word on Real. whether this woman was being beaten by her husband in a slum. Um, <laughs> yeah. Very empathetic guy. I should, uh, I'm confessing up front, by the way, I was so benumbed by this book, I don't even have a dumb sentence. Wow. So these are going to have to carry the weight. All right. I I'm think sure I have... there are plenty of them. Yes, there are. There are people, people were very frustrated by this book, and uh, it, it shows in their submissions. This one is from uh, Liz, Patreon supporter, moderator of our Facebook fan group, who gave me the Settle Down sticker uh, stamp. A single glance satisfied her that at any rate, the worm in Propria persona was not visible. <laughs> Propria? Propria? Anyway, he uses Latin, and she fixes it by saying, a single glint satisfied her that the worm was not visible. <laughs> it, is, right. uh, it works just as well without that. Uh, he pulled it out earlier in that uh, inter alia. Did you see that in Latin? I think it just uh, means in the middle of or something. Okay. But, yeah. but, but he was describing that very thing. like. Huh. He said in the middle of something, interalia. Well, yeah. He's just, I don't know. He just likes to throw them around. Settle down. Uh, <laughs> Harris uh, said, with a woman's natural forethought in a difficult position, she had provided the furnishing of the tea table as a subtle indication of the social difference between her and her guest. So, yeah, I guess that is a, uh, you know, any, any, any woman would that be, that would be her natural forethought um, when confronted with the guy who has tried to hypnotize you twice. Just don't slip up and serve the good butter, idiot. <laughs> that was probably her undoing. That was what brought her down. He got a taste of that. It was like he's he's like Popeye. He's his hypnotizing <laughs> strength was renewed. Scott submitted your kite. Your god is your great kite, which cows the birds of a whole district. Uh, Lucas submitted in a voice which was raucous and brutal. Well, much like that which is heard when a wife is being beaten by her husband in a slum. Andrew submitted, kite flying on a night like this from a place like the Tower of Castor Regis is, to say the least of it, dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to look. I couldn't remember I, I, if the Ben Franklin story was a myth or a, you know urban legend type of thing. It seems like he actually did some sort of experiment with that. And um, But I, I felt like that had to have loomed large in the construction of this uh, final scene. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't even make that connection, but absolutely. Yeah. Andrew submitted a kite. Oh, yeah, that was the one we just read. Page, 
Just fancy how any stranger, say a doctor, would regard her if she were to, she, I think Paige did this just to set me up one last time, would would regard her if she were to tell him that she had been to a tea party with an antediluvian monster and that they had been waited on by up-to-date manservants. Ha! Thank you. A little you. golf clap for that. And she submitted essentially uh, what your, what your uh, joke was there. Yeah, Doc, pre-biblical white worm tried to smoke me out of her parlor, but wait till I tell you about the manservants. <laughs> Life with the white worm theme music plays. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's uh, she's already heard it, but our uh, our brilliant improv should drive that home. <laughs> you know, there's probably a dozen uh, dozen stages you could get up and probably uh, do some uh, improv jams anywhere across the Twin Cities on any given end of the week. You could, you know, just going to need, need a, a word from a the audience. Place you a wouldn't bring a dog. An <laughs> antediluvian monster. <laughs> I heard worm. I heard worm. <laughs> Um, Maggie submitted this. This is when uh, Lord Nathaniel is theorizing about the question we all had on our minds, why the white worm was white. Simply and solely because the snake or worm was white. So, <laughs> answering that question. Uh, Mike T. submitted, uh, Sir Nathaniel had come to the conclusion that for some reason which he did not understand, Lady Arabella had changed her plans and, for the present of all events, was pacific. Yeah. Uh, Sure, she's Pacific. Again, we're being told, not shown. Aaron submitted, uh, this one was good, his bed saw little of Adam Salton for the remainder of that night. So we just get the uh, we get the bed's perspective. Yes. From the, uh, <laughs> that, that might be the most innovative thing Stoker did in the book, actually. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, Neil Diamond's chair not hearing him in I Am <laughs> right. I Said. Uh, right. uh, uh, I like this one, uh, my dumb sentence. The sudden death of Lilla caused consternation among Mimi's friends and well-wishers. <laughs> so, yeah, just, uh, I, I get very concerned when I hear that. Uh, and uh, It's always good that your, your well-wishers are popping in to offer their own consternation. Oh, I'm trying to think. Uh, write down a list of your well-wishers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who comes to mind right away? <laughs> I guess that's just, uh, yeah, I mean, people who, uh, I don't know, people who comment on your posts on Twitter, I mean, they probably... Don't don't wish that any harm becomes you. So, yeah, there's. I mean, I guess that could en- encompass also your sort of uh, people who are, you know, indifferent, and maybe even people who don't like you. But look, hey, I wish her well. But, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. They yeah uh, they they don't care for you, but they they don't yeah they don't want anything you know bad to happen. I guess so. By that by that omission, they are wishing you well. Got a lot of consternation that her uh, sister was uh, hypnotized to death. Um, right. You know, I wish her well. They wish her well enough that they stop by and offer that, I guess. You know, they, or maybe they just, uh, maybe they send notes over. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I think that'll do it for us. I, I think we should watch the movie and probably uh, do some sort of reaction episode to that on, on Patreon, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. do that. Um do we also at some time do a, a separate, just a Patreon thing of uh, some of the uh, mail that came in? Yeah, yeah, all these have gone super long, so I do. I did pull out mail for all of them, and uh, we we'll, we'll we'll read some of those because yeah, a lot of them deal with the unabridged version, which has some very interesting um, things uh, pointed out into it. Like, there's evidently they they went to Ireland at some point in time. The white worm chased them to Ireland. Um, so yeah, we'll do a mailbag episode um, and can do that. So if you have any final thoughts, send them in, and we'll read some of those and. Uh, yeah, thanks again for everyone who supported it. And uh, patreon.com slash 372 is where your 372 pages is where you'll be able to hear all of that. Uh, you can watch the video of me nearly killing my mom with the kite uh, that I tried to fly. Uh, I guess you, maybe you can post some kite stuff to there as well. 
Yep, I've got a. Uh, I I said I couldn't overpromise enough on this kite. It, <laughs> it came. Um, I I might pull that back a little bit. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not super large, but it is it is striking and it is on brand. Right. So uh, I'm I'm excited to get it up in the air. Maybe today, although okay. I don't think I have someone to help me film. So uh, uh, well, that's important. Yeah, yeah. So we'll. Uh, it, it might be a few days. Okay, we'll do it before the the frost hits, which I'm sure is in a matter of hours, if uh, Vermont weather is any indication. Well, uh, it snowed last week, so. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Patreon people—they're the first to know about what we're going to do next as well. So uh, hop on over there and support if you feel so inclined. But uh, again, thanks to everyone who who does support us, and thanks to everyone who listens. It's a lot of fun doing this, and uh, a lot of it, it makes it worthwhile to uh, slog through these books uh, when when other people are are getting in on the humor and. Uh, um, a lot of funny comments, a lot of funny uh, reactions, a lot of funny memes. It's uh, it's eager. I'm always eager to see what everyone comes up with because uh, oftentimes they pick up on stuff I don't notice, and um, I enjoy. Uh, I, I just enjoy being part of something this this silly. <laughs> I do too, and I also like a, a lot of times when you're just sitting there. You know, I read in the evenings and I'm listening to music and I'm making these notes and going, "Am, am I insane?" <laughs> uh, so then to see people making the same comments, at least you're like, "Okay, all right." All right. I haven't gone slowly mad while reading this book. Uh, that's always good to see. Yes. But uh, I just want to wrap up. My final words are uh, uh, Uncle uh, Uncle Sultan, Sir Nathaniel, uh, Adam, Mimi, their dad. All of you can go to hell. <laughs> you, you suck. That's my final word. Enjoy your theoretical breakfast, everybody. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll be back with a uh, a fresh book. Yes. For next time, this is uh, 372 pages. We'll never get back.